And now for something completely different. This is the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Let's do it. Welcome to the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. With you till 3 on this Thursday with plenty to get to over the next few hours. Coming up, we continue to talk about potential changes to college football. And more comments coming out of Big Ten Media Days. Plus, the Carolina Panthers quarterback battle heats up. Which NFL teams are facing the toughest schedules this year based off of quarterbacks? More preseason accolades in the ACC. We'll touch on that. Also, some thoughts on Trevor Lawrence, the AFC versus the NFC and how they've been built. Who is the third best team in the SEC this year? Can you wear your own jersey? A follow-up to Kyler Murray's contract from this week. And a whole lot more over the next few hours. We'll catch up with Robbie Crawford, a member of the Charleston Battery, in the final hour today. Anything else that happens between now and 3 o'clock. You can join the conversation throughout the afternoon. 843-721-9500 to give us a call. You can always text the show. 843-608-1734. Get to us on Twitter at Morrow Middays. On Facebook at ESPN Charleston. Via email studio at KirkmanBroadcasting.com. Or online at CharlestonSportsRadio.com. Head over there and click on our show page where you can find the latest versions of the show podcasted right there. You can also take the Morrow Midday show with you wherever you go by streaming us at CharlestonSportsRadio.com. Or you can even leave a comment for the show. Head over there to charlestonsportsradio.com. Click on our show page and you can leave a comment for the show right there. charlestonsportsradio.com. With you till 3 here on this Thursday with plenty to touch on over the next few hours. Anderson's on the steel wheels. Anderson, what's going on? How are you? Hey, uh, Luke. Uh, doing fantastic on this Thursday. Back half of the week, almost a Friday. I do have a question for you. Did you get your pickup basketball in last oh, night? Oh, I did. Sure oh, did. Nice. How did that go? Well, you know, uh, unfortunately, because of the weather around here, and I was out of town one of those weeks. A little rusty again. Mm-hmm. See, when you get older, you lose it quick. <laughs> we got into a nice flow. We were playing every Wednesday night. I didn't play basketball in years. So we started to play pickup here these last few months. Took me a few weeks. Got into a good flow. Was playing pretty well before uh, this past month. And then uh, you lose all everything that you built up. <laughs> it's like as you get older, right, you, you, you go to the gym. And uh, you start to put some muscle on. Or maybe you, you even shed some pounds. And then if you take like a week off. As your metabolism slows down when you grow up, and I found this out the hard way, you take a week off from exercising, or you just have a weekend where the wife's out of town, or you go to Las Vegas with the buddies and you splurge, you just you know, you drink a lot more, you eat a lot more. Oh, 
all your progress, you lose it very quickly. So I was a little rusty last night. But by the end of the game, the last game we played, I, we, we played for about two and a half hours. Finally, by the end, I started to make my shots. So I started to get it back a little bit. But it's always great to get out there. Now, around here in these parts, our program director around here likes to talk a lot, but doesn't really follow through on that talk. So we're always talking about playing pickup on Thursday, what a lot of people in this building has yet to happen. But we got to get you and everybody else out in the court on a Thursday night and play some pickup basketball. Oh, yeah, that'd be fantastic. Get uh, Trent back out there, yeah. too. Uh, get the whole crew. Absolutely. I would love it. <laughs> get Mr. Bobby Harton on there. Oh, <laughs> now you're talking. <laughs> We've gotten a scouting report about Bobby on the basketball court, and uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't great. But I, now, absolutely, now we got to get out there. Bobby's going to come play with us. Oh, yeah. That'd be a lot of fun. Uh, you ever played pickleball before? I have not. I, I know oh. it's a growing thing. Everybody's yes. starting to love it these days. I have not played it, though. All right. That's the other one. We got to get pickup basketball going, and we got to get pickleball going around here. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but yes, I appreciate you asking. I talk about it all the time on the air, even though nobody cares. So uh, the follow up was uh, we actually got out there and we were able to play last night. Here's the problem: either it's raining and we can't play, or we do play and it's like a hundred degrees. Oh, it was so hot last night. I thought I was going to pass out again. And once the sun goes down, it's much better. I don't know how we have to play. The guys I play with always want to play at five o'clock. It's still so hot. I'm dying out there. But it was good to uh, get back out there, run around a little bit. As you get older, you see, right, and you quickly lose all your progress that you make uh, athletically or physically. You take a few days off. In this case, didn't play for about a month. All gone, just like that. You lose it. All that work for nothing. Hey, let me start with this. Um, with college football, you know, the Big Ten media days are continuing, and we'll get to Kirk Ferentz and something he said yesterday in just a moment. Jim Harbaugh with uh, interesting comments yesterday. But we still focus so much on playoff or really just conference realignment and expansion and teams moving around and trying to join up and team up with this team and get this program over here and yada, yada, yada. I was thinking about this. If you could have teams return to where they once were, right, if you could elevate certain programs in college football and make sure they were at the top of the sport, who would those programs be? What would be the best programs for the health of college football? And I think there are three programs that, kind of transcend the wins and losses or the results on the field. I think it's Notre Dame, USC, Miami, and you know what? I'll probably say four, maybe even Texas as well. Originally, I probably wasn't going to include Notre Dame. You always lump Miami, Texas, USC together because all three programs have been down for the last 15-plus years. We always ask, are they going to be back? And then, of course, you always have Notre Dame over there. Maybe Michigan would even be a fifth, that no matter what happens on the field or off the field, right, like Michigan – has won one national championship since World War II, and it was a shared national championship. And yet, at least amongst the Michigan fan base, there's discussions like they're one of the all-time great programs. They have the big house. They have the color scheme, those great helmets. My godfather used to give me all sorts of Michigan gifts growing up. They, they are pretty cool colors, and you know they got pretty cool stuff. And there's a nice brand around Michigan, and they got a nice stadium. But the success have not matched the expectations. The three programs, though, that I think, first and foremost, exceed whatever happens on the field or off the field would be Miami, USC, and Texas. That even when they're down, they're still relevant. They're still in the conversation. Most programs in all of sports and college football are based on wins and losses. If you're winning, we care. We talk about you. We pay attention. If you're losing, we don't care. And there's a lot of programs that disappear quick. Nebraska was all the rage in the 90s. One of the best teams in the country. Then they stopped winning. Nebraska's now an afterthought. For Florida State, it's already happened pretty quick. Right, where Florida State 
just about a decade ago. Right, from Bobby Bowden to Jimbo Fisher, won a national championship about 10 years ago. We're still at the top of the sport. Now, they've been pretty lousy for, what, about half a dozen years? Eh, you kind of forget about them. It may be a concern for Clemson as well, because Clemson doesn't have that history that goes beyond the wins and the losses. They don't have that brand. Maybe here in the state, maybe in the upstate, maybe amongst you and your Clemson buddies, but nationally, right? Clemson was largely irrelevant until they started winning national championships. And if they stop competing at that level, they may become irrelevant once again, years down the road. Right? You don't pay attention to them as much. They become like the new Nebraska. We have short attention spans. We're fickle sports fans. You have to keep winning for us to be interested, to remain in the spotlight, in the forefront, to be, re- uh, to be relevant in the sports world. But there are certain programs that win or loss, we're always thinking about them. In the NFL, the obvious one, of course, is the Dallas Cowboys. I say it all the time as we get ready for every football season. No matter what they did the year prior, no matter what reasonable expectations should be for that season, what offseason moves they made, what the roster looks like, it doesn't matter. Every year we focus on the Cowboys. We talk about the Cowboys. Can they win the Super Bowl? They always believe they can. They still get a bunch of primetime games. It doesn't matter because the brand is bigger than just the results on the field. I think in college football, Texas, Miami, USC are those three. That even when they're down, they're still interesting. You still care. People still talk about them nationally. And every year you wonder, is this the year? Are they back? Now you get Lincoln Riley and you get Mario Cristobal and you get Steve Sarkeesian, you get some big-time coaches, and there's a lot of intrigue and interest around those programs. I also think it's good for college football when those programs are actually relevant. And I also think it's telling that they can hire good coaches even when the program isn't successful because those in college football know of the potential of said programs, that they are still somewhat sleeping giants. There's a reason why Lincoln Riley wants to go out to USC, and Sarkeesian goes to Texas, and Mario Cristobal goes back to Miami because they know what you can achieve there. Those are the three programs that, to me, no matter what happens on or off the field, they're always relevant. And it's best for college football when all three are relevant on the field as well. Then, as I said, Notre Dame and Michigan are probably two more, especially Notre Dame. They're similar to the Cowboys. That again, right, not winning games, doesn't really matter. They have a national TV contract. They're pumped up every week. They're on NBC, usually, you know, mid-afternoon. Always a big deal. They have a national radio network. Bunch of Notre Dame fans throughout the country that support them. Whether they're good or not, right, they could be winning four games under Charlie Weiss. They could uh, be miserable under Ty Willingham. doesn't matter. You still talk about Notre Dame. You focus on them. They have the helmets, the nice color scheme, the beautiful um, uh, stadium, touchdown Jesus. Notre Dame, Michigan, two more that are maybe always there in the forefront. And then if I were to give you another team that I think would be good to return uh, return towards the top, the, uh, top of college football, I'll give you a, a nice six-pack here of teams. I would say Florida State. Right, That college football would benefit from having Florida State be good once again. They've had their run before. Florida obviously loves their football. So, too, do the Seminole fans. There's plenty of history and tradition there. And that's another program that I would say if I could return towards the top of college football, it would be beneficial for the sport. A couple of teams that I was thinking about the other day. That if you could choose which programs would be quote-unquote elite at the top of college football, those would be some that I think the sport benefits when they're better on the field. And there are a few programs, like a Texas, like a USC, like a Miami, that no matter what happens on the field, they're always relevant. That can't be said for most programs, right? You stop winning, we stop caring. Out of sight, out of mind. 
And we've seen it from programs that have won national championships before. Once you stop winning those national championships, we're no longer interested. I always compare it to uh, the guy who hits it big, makes a lot of money, and then maybe he blows that money away. And when you run out of the money, you realize, like, oh, actually, they weren't my real friends after all. They were just interested because I had a lot of money. And we'd go out and we'd have a good time and they'd take advantage of me. And once you lose that money, eh, nah, yeah, people aren't really interested in hanging out with you anymore. Or it's like the classic old uh, coming-of-age movies. Somebody pretends to be something they're not in high school, right? And then you realize, like, actually, he's just a big nerd. And, you know, suddenly no one's uh, friends with him anymore. Like the guy in American Pie who was lying about uh, all his experience with women. And then Stifler exposed him, and uh, he became, you know, persona non grata in the school. Everyone made fun of him again. Similar idea. And they only like you when you're popular or when you have a bunch of money or you can do something for them. We only like you in sports when you're winning. If you're not winning, we don't care. Unless you're USC, Texas, Miami, maybe Notre Dame, Michigan as well. Those are brands that are built up long enough over time, like the Cowboys, like probably the Steelers as well, the Yankees. Even the Celtics have had a lot of down years recently. Still, we always talk about them. The Lakers haven't really been all that great outside of the bubble year for the past decade. You always focus on them. Certain brands, certain teams, schools, programs that you just can't quite forget. That we're always focusing on. We're always talking about. And those are a few in college football. Big Ten media days are continuing. You know, Jim Harbaugh made an interesting comment about how he does believe players should be getting a portion of the Big Ten media rights which was suggested by the commissioner, Kevin Warren, and has been discussed. I think instead of even paying the players, I mentioned this yesterday, it's time to divvy up the amount of money brought into the conference by the teams that are doing the best. If Clemson is bringing in the most money for their conference, they should get the most. If Clemson is having the most success on the field, they should get the most. And you may say, well, that's not fair. How could a Georgia Tech or a Duke or a UNC try to close the gap with other schools in their own conference if we're not giving everybody equal money? Well, I go back to the things I've said about Nick Saban when Saban always claims that college football has been so fair and equal. No, it never has been. In fact, college football has always favored the better teams. That's the big difference between college football and the NFL. The NFL favors the worst teams because they want to lift them up and get everybody on a level field. The NFL thrives on parity. They want all 32 teams to be in the same spot. College football has never been like that. The best teams control their schedules. They get the benefit of the doubt in the polls at the beginning of the year. They get the best players. They have greater resources. They do already make more money. Right, we always give every advantage to the best teams in college football. That's why we always have college football dynasties. And this would be another one. Where forget divvying up the money to make it even across the ACC. If Clemson's doing more, they should make more. Just like you and your company. If you're working harder than everybody else or you're more, you are uh, more successful at your job than everybody else, you should make more. At what company do they truly pay everybody the same across the board, no matter how much work is being done or how much success you're having or how many clients or sales you're making? We could talk about the players in the Big Ten getting a portion. I say the first conversation should be divvying it up differently amongst teams. Alabama should be making more money in the SEC than anybody. They've been the best thing for the SEC the past 15 years. Vanderbilt, sorry, you get the least amount. You're not bringing anything to the table when it comes to the football and all the money is being made by SEC football. And you could say, well, this is just unfair. It's a larger uphill climb for Vanderbilt. It already is. What in college football has been fair? What has allowed Vanderbilt to try to close that gap over the years? Or any other program? Duke, Georgia Tech, UNC, even South Carolina, as they try to catch up to Georgia and Alabama. What advantage have they been given before to try to close that gap? That's where I would start. You want to talk about paying the players a portion of the media rights? Let's first start by divvying it up 
to each program in the conference based off of how much they do for said conference. Clemson should be making the most in the ACC. Alabama and now Georgia should be getting the most in the SEC. I assume Texas probably does the best, even, again, if it's not on the field in the Big 12. USC out west, so on and so forth. Ohio State in the Big 10. They're carrying a lot of these conferences. They're doing a lot more than a lot of the other teams. And yet you have to split up those media rights evenly. Before you start divvying it up to the players to keep them in your conference, divvy it up to the schools that are doing the most for your conference to keep them around too, like a Clemson in the ACC. Here was uh, Kirk Ferentz at the Big Ten Media Days yesterday. He was talking about the shape of college football right now and the need for a uh, commissioner, which is something we've always talked about in college football. I doubt it's ever going to happen, but here was Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz yesterday. There's a real lack of structure and framework in our sport right now, which I think is concerning and dangerous. NIL, I think, is a great initiative, great conceptually. And our transfer policies right now are, are a little bit concerning, too. And spending six years in the NFL where they had a salary cap, you know, there is a system there for, you know, a limit on how much or how little players can be paid. There's also a system of movement. There are times when players can move and can't move. And I have no idea how you get to that point in college football. I'm not smart enough to know that. And I'm not smart enough to know who's going to do it. But right now, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of us that are a little confused on what the rules are and what are the, you know, how do you operate. And we just have such a good game. I hate to see it, you know, implode or, you know, suffer a setback. Kirk Ferentz yesterday. Yeah, I agree with most of what he said. I don't think we'll ever get a commissioner in college football, though, until we truly move to like a, a two-conference thing. Until the SEC is truly running the sport, maybe Greg Sankey becomes the commissioner. But otherwise, right now, you have too many people with too much power that would be unwilling to give that up for one person to come in over them and run things. But I've said it before about college football. It'd be like if your company had five different people pulling in five different directions. It would be hard to get everybody on the same page and be successful. That's college football. Now you have the five heads of the five Power Five uh, conferences that all want something different. You have the NCAA that's loosely involved, that's trying to do what they can. Then you have you got the government, you got politicians involved in name, image, and likeness. Everybody's looking out for themselves, pulling in their own direction. No one's on the same page. There's no single committee. And much like the NBA, where I said, the NBA, you know, we have more talent now, I think, than ever before, at least in terms of athleticism. And yet the sport is not in the best spot. College football is doing just fine. But we also have probably some of the best talent we've ever had in college football. And yet the focus is always on the mess going on off the field. I think college football will be okay. I heard Michael Wilbon, you said yesterday, college football is going to go the way of boxing and baseball and all these other. I don't think so. Football's too big to fail. We love football too much. You may not like what's happening off the field in college football, but as long as it doesn't affect the on-the-field product, you'll continue to tune in. And the difference that college football has compared to the NFL, the advantage they have is that emotional connection. I'm emotionally tied to my favorite NFL team. My week depends on how they do on Sunday. But there's a difference between like going to a school, growing up in the town of that school. Your father is an alum of the school. You donate to the school. You'll always have that emotional connection. You spent four years of your life at that school if you root for your alma mater. That's a big difference than just picking the closest NFL team or the NFL team that you like because of their jerseys. You may be passionate about your NFL team, but there's a difference between them and your college football team where you may have spent four years of your life, you may have given a lot of money to, or your father went there, you were raised, your whole, that's your family school. There's that emotional tie in college football. I think college football will always be fine. Of course, there's things they can do better. But a commissioner, I doubt we'll ever get to that point, at least not anytime soon. Here is Marcus Freeman, head coach of Notre Dame. He was on ESPN's Get Up this morning. I think Notre Dame holds all the cards in the next step of college football and potential further realignment. 
Here's the head coach of Notre Dame talking about Notre Dame potentially remaining independent. Listen, I depend on our president, our athletic director, Father Jenkins and Jack Swarbrick to make those big decisions. And the one thing I know that is they really and I really enjoy every time you bring that up, right? Teams or programs are talking about what Notre Dame's going to do. And we love that. We love being independent. Um, our program really was built on being independent. And uh, I think as long as we can continue to do that, we will. But I know they will never put our program in a position to fail. And so if we have to join a conference, I'm sure we will. Marcus Freeman this morning. Yeah, Notre Dame will just do whatever's best for them. If we get to a point where the best path to make a playoff or the path to more money is by joining a certain conference, they'll do that. Or if a TV network is willing to give them the $75 million they're asking for and they can remain independent and that's more financially smart for them, they'll probably do that as well. But the next step we get in college football probably will be whatever happens with Notre Dame. We have reports about the Big Ten looking at all sorts of teams in the Pac-12. I don't think that does a whole lot to move the needle. If you get Notre Dame, going back to my original conversation today, that's a different story. But as Marcus Freeman said this morning, as you could assume, right, they'll do whatever's best for them, and that's usually financially. They can get more money in a conference, they'll join a conference, which may go back to a previous take I just had about paying certain schools more money. You could come into the Big Ten instead of just splitting the pie. Hey, you're Notre Dame. You're going to do a lot of good for us. You have more leverage than somebody else. We'll give you even more money. Right, that could be a way for the Big Ten or the ACC or the SEC to get Notre Dame in there. Instead of just divvying it up and saying, ah, if you come in here, you'll get $40 million. No, you know what? You're Notre Dame. You come into the ACC. You may be the top earner. You'll get more money than anybody. It'll give you an advantage in your new conference. And you could get a Notre Dame in said conference, which would be big for the ACC. We'll see what happens as the dominoes continue to fall in college football in the future. The one uh, last thing I'll say is, you know, it also is a negative in all this that the season now is uh, 30 days away, week zero, and the focus, of course, is on all the off-the-field stuff. We're right around the corner from a season. I imagine it'll be a fun, exciting college football season. It usually is. And yet all the talk is about expansion and the college football playoff and paying kids and Harbaugh's talking about, you know, uh, uh, other things off the field. This is what the focus is all on instead of the matchups, the players, standings, X's and O's. We'll do that a little bit later on with the ACC as they have put out their preseason picks in terms of individual awards, and we'll get to that later on. But when we come back, the Carolina Panthers have started their training camp and therefore their quarterback battle as well. We'll touch on that next. More Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. Coming up, the Carolina Panthers quarterback battle has begun. It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Training camp's underway in the NFL. We're a week away from the first official preseason game in the NFL. Next Thursday, a week from today. Looking forward to it. Love my preseason football. So football right around the corner. Anderson, are you into preseason football at all? You know, I'm into it a little bit just because, you know, it's football. Football's back, mm-hmm. you know, excited for that. But, uh, no, I mean, I like the first quarter or two yeah. where you get to see the starters. Right. And then, yeah, 
it's a little boring once everybody's out, but it's enough to get your fix, right? You're right. looking forward to football. You sit down, you watch a little live action the first quarter, see some of those guys out there, and then by the time they get to the fourth stringer, it's like, all right, I could go watch something else. But you got that fix of oh, football right around the corner. Looking forward to it. Training camp's begun. Matt Rule spoke with the media yesterday. And, of course, uh, one of the hot topics was about their quarterback battle. Here's what the head coach of the Panthers had to say yesterday in regards to Baker Mayfield for Sam Darnold. Who's going to be the quarterback? Here's the Panthers head coach. I'd love to have it before the Cleveland game. You know, <laughs> uh, uh, you know I, I think anytime you put timelines on things, you end up rushing to make bad decisions. Um, to me, this is about very much being in the moment but not making rash judgments. Some guys are going to have good days. Some guys are going to have bad days, you know. Um, you know, we, we'll have our 53 cut, you know, whenever we know, we know, we're not going to play games with it. You know, when we kind of know, Hey, this is our guy, we'll, we'll do it. But, you know, most teams in the NFL start two quarterbacks throughout the course of the year. So to me, it's our job to not just, you know, pick a starting quarterback. It's to make sure that we have four guys that can go in and win for us. So, um, when we know, we'll know. Matt rule yesterday, right? He said, I don't pick the quarterback. It's not my job. It's their job. Whoever does better. We'll see who does better. Now, look, if Sam Darnold truly shines over Baker Mayfield, you got to put him out there week one, I suppose. But there's a reason why you bring in Baker, because you weren't sold on Sam Darnold, because he wasn't good enough last year. It's the reason why you drafted a quarterback as well. You knew Darnold wasn't your future. It's the reason why you tried to get Deshaun Watson, because, boy, what an upgrade that would be on the football field over Sam Darnold. And eventually... Why you went out and you got Baker? Because even after all that, even after failing to get Deshaun and even after drafting a quarterback, you still weren't pleased with the quarterback room. You went out and you got Baker Mayfield. And Baker, from what we've seen on the field, maybe he's not a lot better, but he is better. He has shown to be better than Sam Darnold. He's had more success personally and also in terms of winning. I mean, he's been to the playoffs, won a playoff game, more than Sam Darnold can say at this point. Whoever starts at quarterback probably won't make a huge difference. You know, when they brought in Baker Mayfield, their win total, the Panthers, went up by one. Their odds to make the playoffs did increase from plus 550 to plus 400. Their odds to win the division stayed the same, to win the NFC stayed the same, to win the Super Bowl stayed the same. So not a huge difference. Eh, It adds about an extra win. And it goes back to what I said about, uh, you know, just the Panthers just kind of, being too late on all this. But you bring in Teddy Bridgewater, you don't draft a quarterback last year in that class. You bring in Sam Darnold instead, Baker Mayfield. It's just uh, kind of like caught between a rock and a hard place or on a fence where you don't know which side to go on. Like, are we rebuilding? Are you trying to win now? Do you want a veteran quarterback? Are we being serious about this quarterback position? Because right now you're just trying to piece it together with bridge guys. But I think Baker, right, you bring him in for a reason. He needs to be the starting quarterback come week one. Plus, you factor in the revenge factor and the fact that they play the Cleveland Browns week one. Matt Rule also said yesterday that, you know, last season you put it behind him, it's like a golf game. You go out there and you play poorly in a round of nine. You don't shoot it well. You have a bad round of golf. You know, you put it behind you, and you go back out there the next week, and you hope it's better. And that's true, right? That's accurate. What Matt Rule said last year, we put that behind us. We didn't win as many games. It's like a bad golf round. You put it behind you, get ready for the next one. Problem is, this isn't you and your buddies going out for fun on a Thursday night to go golfing. Now, you're judged by wins and losses. It'd be like if you were a professional golfer and you had that bad round, sure, you could put it behind you and say, you know what, next tournament, I'm going to come back, I'm going to do even better. But if you string together a bunch of tournaments that are not very good, 
then maybe that's just who you are. You're not a good golfer. Right? When this is your profession or your job, that's the big difference in Matt Rule's comparison. If we're talking just golfing for fun with your buddies, nothing on the line, yeah, sure. You may be frustrated that you didn't hit them that well, but you know what? You'll do better next time. At least that's what you tell yourself. That's what keeps bringing you back. Doesn't bring back a coach, though. You can't say to the front office, you know what? We'll be better next year. Eventually, you have to show it. When it's your job, when it's your profession, and the Panthers really need to show it this year by winning more games. Now, when it comes to the quarterbacks, you know, in the area, for Baker Mayfield and the Panthers, I think Baker should be the starter. I do think he's an upgrade over Sam Darnold. I think he makes the Panthers better, and we'll see what you could potentially get out of Baker this year. You know, when he was playing for Kevin Stefanski and the Browns, they built their offense a little bit differently. It's about the running game. Maybe because of Baker Mayfield and the quarterback. Maybe they wanted to take a little more off of his plate. Maybe they didn't trust him enough. But it was about the ground game, good offensive line, don't ask too much from your quarterback, and a lot of tight end usage. Last season, the Browns led the NFL in snaps, including three tight ends on the field. They ran that formation twice as many times as the next closest team. Three tight ends. How often do you watch an NFL game you see three tight ends on the field? We saw a lot of that from Cleveland a year ago. Now Baker Mayfield is with the Panthers. And while he has to learn this playbook quickly in the offseason, I don't think you're going to see a ton of three tight end sets in Carolina this year. When Baker was very successful at his best with Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma, he was playing in the air raid system. And he played really well, you know, playing from the shotgun and throwing the ball quite a bit, and especially throwing it outside. Well, if you try to determine what the Panthers could look like this year, and we go back and we look at Ben uh, McAdoo's offense in the past, McAdoo is probably more similar to Lincoln Riley than he is Kevin Stefanski. He may not run the air raid, but he also isn't running a lot of sets with three tight ends. Ben McAdoo prefers more receivers on the field. He prefers maybe closer to a West Coast offense where a lot of quicker throws which is what he did with Eli, in part because Eli was a little bit older, wasn't all that athletic, and you had to get the ball out of his hands. But when Ben McAdoo was coaching Eli Manning in New York, he was there for four years. Eli finished top six in pass attempts all four years. And only once did a Giants running back even have more than 800 yards. Now the Panthers are a little bit different because you have Christian McCaffrey. They could be built a little bit more like the Browns, but we also don't know if McCaffrey can remain healthy throughout this year or what you're going to get from McCaffrey. Is he going to be the McCaffrey of old? Point being, Baker and Cleveland, maybe they thought it was for his own good, trying to make things easy on him, but it also may not have been the best fit with Stefanski. Running the football, a lot of tight ends, right? asking for him to do less, fit into that more of a pro style, where with Ben McAdoo, you know, he put him in the shotgun a little bit more, throw it a little more frequently, have him be comfortable back there, get into a rhythm, have it be similar to what he did in college. Maybe this is a better fit for Baker Mayfield in the Panthers' offense with Ben McAdoo. Don't read too much into all the training camp storylines. Guys are going to have good days and bad days. Baker's playing from behind. He's trying to learn the playbook. You'll see different tweets. Baker Mayfield was just picked off. Oh, no. Don't read too much into it. We'll see what happens in the preseason games as we get closer to the regular season. But I imagine week one, Baker's got to be the starter. It's like what Jerry Jones said yesterday about Mike McCarthy. Yeah, McCarthy's our guy, but I also have options. Right? Like, if you're looking... You're not pleased with where you currently are. If you really love your job, you're not looking for other possibilities. If you really love the person you're with, eh, you're not checking out others. Right, but when you're the Panthers and you're checking in on Deshaun Watson, despite his legal situation, 
and you're using a draft pick on Matt Corral, and you're still talking with the Browns about Baker Mayfield well into the summer, you must not be too pleased with what you already have. You were desperate for something else, desperate for that new job. Y'all get me away from where I currently am. It's miserable here. That was the Browns with Baker, and I believe if you go to those efforts, those lengths, he's got to be your guy week one. When it comes to the Atlanta Falcons and Marcus Mariota, you know, the interesting thing to watch for Mariota, this training camp or moving forward with the Falcons, is how much he's going to be to, to do with his legs. I think that's the advantage he brings to Atlanta. You go from Matt Ryan, a bit of a statue, especially in his older years, to now Mariota, a more athletic quarterback, and I think that gives Arthur Smith, the play caller, a few more options on offense. Right? I mean, you look at this Falcons offense. You have a gadget wide receiver as your running back. You have a second-year tight end, and you have a rookie, the youngest rookie in the draft class, as your star wide receiver. And then you have Marcus Mariota, a former backup, as your quarterback. Not great on paper for the Falcons' offense. But what Mariota potentially can bring, look, he's not Lamar Jackson, not a Malik Willis, not even a Josh Allen, but he can make some plays with his legs. And that's what you can bring to this offense that you didn't have in the past. Maybe a few more play actions, bootlegs, quarterback runs. In Oakland and in Las Vegas, they would use Mariota with some quarterback reads. You could do things like that. That's what he could bring to the table that you didn't have in the past. I think Baker Mayfield's an upgrade. And while Mariota's not an upgrade for the Falcons, he can bring a few more wrinkles to the offense and to a creative mind like Arthur Smith that maybe you couldn't do last year. The Panthers could be a better fit for Baker, and Mariota could actually be a better fit for what Arthur Smith wants to do in Atlanta than Matt Ryan. May sound crazy, but at this point, right, take the more athletic quarterback and do a few more things because Mariota's going to have to make some plays with the lack of weapons around them. When we come back, I have some more thoughts on quarterbacks, specifically comparing the AFC to the NFC. And we also have to talk about some hidden talents as well. It's the Morrow Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Now back to the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. I had some thoughts on the uh, quarterback situation of the Panthers and the Falcons. More thoughts. Comparing the AFC to the NFC. But I was watching uh, Get Up, as I'm prone to do on ESPN, and something stood out. You know, they were talking about there's this video online for uh, Eli Manning and his nephew Arch, and they're juggling. It looks like in a restaurant. They're juggling. And Eli's a pretty good juggler. Arch Manning, uh, the nephew, eh, he was okay. And then they brought out Jeff Darlington, who is an NFL reporter for ESPN. And Darlington has this great talent of being able to spin things on his finger. And so he did it like a laptop, which, you know, that's a pretty risky thing. You drop that laptop, you're going to have to get a new laptop. And those things, I think it was a MacBook. Those things are expensive. He's doing a pillow cushion. He's doing all sorts of things. He's spinning on his finger. Now, obviously, it's a better visual. It's better if you could actually see it. But this was uh, Darlington on uh, Get Up. This is how it went down with him spinning all sorts of things from the studio, just grabbing different things, and like he used to do with a basketball, right, just spinning it on his index finger. This was how it sounded on uh, Get Up. 
All right, we're back on Get Up. Before we begin another hour, I want to show everyone to see this because it's just kind of fun to watch. This is Eli and Arch Manning. Arch, of course, is his nephew. Uh, Eli can juggle, Arch. Yeah, maybe not as much. Uh, so, so those are just sort of like unique skills that people sometimes do and sometimes do not have. And if you're a regular viewer of this program, then you may already know this. Heather, you may not know this. Jeff Darlington can spin what do you want? anything. What do you want to spin? Get a ream of paper. A ream of paper? No it's problem. a ream of paper. Watch this. You can this. spin anything with centrifugal force. Anything else? I, I is there anything else you want to spin? I'm not convinced that's what centrifugal force means. Okay, this uh, is a laptop. laptop. Company laptop? This is a laptop. He can spin a company uh, laptop. Go ahead. My uh, my jack's a little restricting. How about Heather, this? that's unbelievable. How about this? What, remarkable. What is this? No, couch no, cushion. No. It's a couch cushion. <laughs> that's a ridiculous talent. Is there anything else you'd like me to spin? No, I don't know. No, I, I thought you were coming for me. <laughs> oh, no. Well, this looks dangerous to me. Yeah. Step back, Heather. Save yourself. Would wow. you spin that, too? That, he's an amazingly talented person. That's Jeff Darlington, who is much better at spinning than even Eli Manning is at juggling. Jeff Darlington spinning various things from the get-up studio on his finger. I was most impressed with the couch cushion. Like, it was a big couch cushion. He's spinning it on his index finger. Crazy. Now, Anderson's on the board today. A couple of follow-ups here. Number one, can you spin things on your finger, like a basketball or any just, can you pick up a, some sort of item and, and have it twirl on your index finger? I'm an amateur at spinning a basketball. Like, I can, I can get it going for about five, ten seconds, but uh -huh. I can't, you know, like, keep it going and stuff like that. I can't, like, move fingers, switch between fingers, so I, I'd call myself an amateur at best with a basketball. <laughs> I could never do that. I think my father would always do it. I couldn't. Then you go to basketball camp, and like you said, yeah, there'd be guys that would put it on all different fingers while it's still spinning, right? They just move it to one finger to the next. I can't do it. I can never spin a basketball on my finger. I, I'm sorry. i got to sound pretty lame. I really don't have any hidden talents, which is my fo other follow-up to you. Are there any hidden talents that you have, something like that, that is so random, it doesn't really play a role in everyday life, but it's like a party trick, right? You, Jeff Darlington can pick up anything in the room and twirl it on his finger. Do you have any sort of hidden talent like that? You know, not that I know of. Yeah, I haven't discovered it if I do, so hopefully one day I find something that I'm pretty good at. <laughs> yeah, i got to admit, same, the same thing. We're uh, not all that talented here on the Mormon Day Show, I guess. I have nothing. I don't know. I could talk about sports ad nauseum. That's about it. You know, growing up, I can never do all the things that the other kids would do, or I would choose not to. You know, like there'd be kids, I'm talking about growing up like in grade school, they flip their eyelids over. I wouldn't even try that one, but I, I don't think I could do that. Kids would always show off like the different things they can make with their tongue. You could do like a W or whatever. or just I, I can't do that. I do have one of those double-jointed thumbs. Do you? Yeah, it can kind of like, yeah. pops in a weird way. Yeah, see, I don't have that. People, yeah, would stretch like their fingers in different ways. Can't do it. Can you do like the Star Trek thing where you separate your, your fingers? Oh, you got that? Yeah, and then I can do this little thing. I can't do that. <laughs> I can't move my fingers like that. I got nothing. I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to think of other ones from back in the day. Can you juggle? The original, uh, you know, the, the video that started the whole conversation, they were watching a video of Eli Manning was a pretty good juggler. Arch, his nephew, is okay. Can you juggle? I cannot juggle. I, I've never really, you know, tried very hard to learn how to juggle, but no, I, I, I can't juggle. It seems pretty difficult, honestly. Yeah, I can't juggle either. Um, I could be like Will Ferrell in The Office, right, pretending to juggle. That's about it. The other one we, we used to do growing up, bringing it back to sports, I could not spin the basketball. That was always a cool one. Everybody wanted to spin the basketball, be like the Globetrotters. The other one kids would always do with the football would be you, you palm the football with your palm facing down, and then you'd flip it to, like, your, the back of your hand and then flip it back to your your palm again. 
if I'm explaining that well enough. And it sounds really simple, but it's not as easy as it may sound. You just flip the football back and forth to the top of your hand and then back to the bottom and, and so on and so forth. Almost like you're dribbling it, but it never actually hits the ground. You're just flipping it back and forth on your hand. That was another one we would always try to do. And then, of course, you would always have the cool, like, uh, the, the baseball cap. You'd flip it up on your hand, up your arm, and onto your head. That was another one. I, I can't do any of that stuff. I have uh, very few hidden talents, I guess. Or they're so hidden, I just haven't found them yet. I guess that's what it is. But I cannot spin things on my finger. I was blown away. I'm watching Jeff Darlington twirl. Uh, he's doing like a couch. He's spinning a whole couch on his finger. I'm thinking, how is this possible? Can't do it. We were talking last segment about the Panthers and the Falcons quarterbacks. I have some thoughts on Trevor Lawrence coming up as well and his situation in Jacksonville. But I was thinking about this, and they're all connected. The difference between the AFC and the NFC. You know, the AFC is supposed to be much better than the NFC this year in the NFL. And in large part, the AFC, because they have just a lot better quarterbacks. But think about those quarterbacks. In the AFC, the majority of them are just drafted by the team, right? They're still on the team they were drafted by. Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, even if you want to throw in a Derek Carr, all drafted by their teams. They're still on those teams. The AFC teams have done a good job drafting the quarterback. You also have Mac Jones, who made the playoffs as a rookie. You have Trevor Lawrence, who, if he develops into anything, could be the next star. You have Tua, who we're still waiting to see in Miami. Maybe he could be the guy. Maybe Zach Wilson in New York. They're still somewhat excited about him. In the NFC, who are the best quarterbacks? Tom Brady and Matt Stafford, who you brought in from the AFC. Aaron Rodgers, too, right? He was a draft pick. Wound up with the Packers because he fell in the first round. But the other two top guys, Brady, Stafford, not with their original teams. Buccaneers had to go out and get Brady. The Rams had to go out and get Stafford. Last year, who were the quarterbacks left standing in the NFC? Stafford and Jimmy Garoppolo, both acquired. Garoppolo came from the Patriots. Stafford came from the Lions. You look at other teams, right? The Vikings, I hope, were a playoff team this year. Kirk Cousins, they didn't draft him. The Saints believe they'll be a playoff team. Jameis Winston, they didn't draft him. They didn't draft Drew Brees either. Maybe the Commanders will be a playoff team in the East. They had to go out and get Carson Wentz. So on and so forth. I find it interesting. The AFC is so much better than the NFC. And because the AFC has a ton of of top-end quarterbacks that the NFC doesn't really have. But when you look at how we got these quarterbacks, the AFC, it's almost like the old DH rule. right? The AL would have the DH. The NL didn't. And you build your teams a little bit differently. The AFC has knocked it out of the park drafting quarterbacks. The NFC hasn't. They'd have they have to go get, you know, for lack of a better term, go get kind of the sloppy seconds. You go get a Brady. You get a Matt Stafford. Go get a Kirk Cousins when he becomes available. And you look at the two teams we were just talking about, the Falcons and the Panthers, Marcus Mariota, right, wasn't your draft pick. You had to go get him to plug a hole. The Panthers, they're choosing between Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold, two failed draft picks of the AFC. And the NFC, they get the hand-me-downs. Like, all right, come over here. Because we can't draft a quarterback. In fact, they didn't even try. The Panthers had their chance last year. The Falcons, too. And look at where they are. The AFC teams have gotten where they are because they drafted good quarterbacks that have worked out. Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Derek Carr. Things were working out okay for Deshaun in Houston, at least on the field, until he forced his way out and then had this legal situation. And in the NFC, the Panthers, the Falcons, he had a chance to get your quarterback last year. They thought, no, we're good. And instead, what's the solution? Eh, we'll go get a Marcus Mariota. We'll get a Baker Mayfield, a Sam Darnold. Apparently, a difference in philosophy between the two conferences, but you can see which conference it's working out better for. The AFC. So if you're the Panthers, if you're the Falcons, I go back. 
I beat the dead horse. Go back to that draft last year. Why didn't you take a quarterback when you had a chance in the top ten? And instead, you think the better solution is to bring in Marcus Mariota? To go trade for Baker Mayfield to compete with Sam Darnold? This is the best we can do? Meanwhile, the AFC's laughing at you because they got some of the best teams in football led by their draft picks. Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Derek Carr, Trevor Lawrence, Mac Jones, Tua, so on and so forth. The AFC right now lapping the NFC in quarterback development. It's a big reason why they're the much better conference. We'll wrap up Hour 1 next. More Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. As she rises to her apology, everybody else would surely know. Who's watching her go? Wrapping up hour one of the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Another series finale loss yesterday for the Braves and during the day as well. We know they're kryptonite. Series finales and also day games. Their offense is so much worse in the day. In fact, they have one of the worst offenses in day games for whatever reason. I think it was, uh, wasn't it Josh Hamilton who years ago he had to get like a surgery on his eyes because he said he, he couldn't see as well in the sunlight to try to hit a baseball? Maybe that's going on with the Braves. Uh, you know, they just have a team that, uh, for whatever reason, they're not picking up the ball as well when the sun's out. But they lost yesterday, lost another finale. The good news, I guess, is uh, mostly playoff games are played at night. And uh, if you get into a finale, uh, you, you, game seven, maybe that's tough. But otherwise, you know, there's not really like a series finale per se. There's elimination games. There's game. There's clinchers. But maybe they'll have a couple of different opportunities. They'll get up in a series. They'll have a few different opportunities to win a finale. Here's the good news for the Braves. They're the last team left to not lose three straight games. In fact, it's the latest uh, a team has gone into a season without a three-game losing streak since the 2001 Mariners set the record for most wins in the AL. And the Mariners did not win, or I should say, did not lose three straight until September and then ended up getting knocked out in the playoffs and not finishing the year very well. But the Yankees had their first three-game losing streak about, what was that, a week ago, a week or two ago? The Astros just got swept by the Oakland A's. And yet the Braves, even though they've dropped three of their last four, have not lost three in a row. It's the longest they've gone in a season in franchise history without a three-game losing streak. So the Braves are still doing okay. But now three games behind the Mets. Trade deadline less than a week away. Rumors about the Dodgers getting J.D. Martinez would only make them even better. I think we're on a path to another Dodgers-Astros matchup at the end of the year at this rate. We'll see what happens in the next few days with the deadline. Hour 2 coming up next. More Midday Show on ESPN Radio. WTMZ 98.9 FM. WTMZ 910 AM and 94.7 FM. W234CD. Dorchester Terrace. Brentwood. Charleston. This is the Morrow Midday Show. But wait, there's more. On ESPN Radio. Guess who's back? 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 
Second hour of the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Coming up, some thoughts on Trevor Lawrence as we talk more about some quarterbacks. A follow-up on the Kyler Murray story as well. And can you ever wear your own jersey? Get to that coming up. Plus, the ACC. More preseason picks. What it means for the conference. We'll get to that and a whole lot more throughout the afternoon. One of maybe your childhood favorites is going away here on a throwback Thursday. Got plenty to do. If you ever miss anything from the show, you can always catch it on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston however you listen to your podcast. And the podcasts are also always available online at charlestonsportsradio.com. Click on our show page. Find the podcast there. You can also leave a comment for the show, charlestonsportsradio.com, by clicking on our show page. Or get to us on Twitter at Morrow Middays. You can always text the show, 843-608-1734. Or give us a call, 843-721-9500. Speaking of calls got another call from one of those robo calls is there anything worse right back in the day you used to think telemarketers were bad back in the day now you get like eight of those calls a day about your car warranty hey you have a chance to um save a life and give blood with american cross uh, american red cross blood drive going on tuesday after the weekend at cruise subaru next tuesday august 2nd 11 a.m to 4 p.m all donors receive a complimentary certificate for $35, good for auto service, parts, or accessories at Cruise Subaru, plus a $10 e-gift card and a chance to win a Shark Week merchandise pack, plus a free pint of custard from Culver's. Man, we got a lot going on here. Appointments are preferred, but walk-ins are welcome. It's going on Tuesday, 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. So to register, go over to redcrossblood.org and use the sponsor code CRUISE. It's written in all caps on this sheet, so that may need to be in all caps when you put that code in. But redcrossblood.org, sponsor code CRUISE for the uh, blood drive going on Tuesday, August 2nd, next Tuesday, Cruise Subaru, 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. And as I said, $35, uh, good for auto service, $10 e-gift card, a chance to win Shark Week merchandise, and a free pint of custard from Culver's. Now, we talked about this with Trent. Trent is out today. Anderson's on the board. Anderson, are you into uh, Shark Week at all? You know, I used to be. I used to really like it when I was uh, a little bit younger, middle school, so uh, 10 or 12 years old. But, you know, it's gotten really gimmicky over the years, I yeah. feel like. And, yeah, it's it's kind of gone downhill, I think. But I used to be a big fan of it. Trent was just railing about uh, how gimmicky it was because of my Impractical Jokers. <laughs> they were on Shark Week the other night. And it was a little hokey, right? It's script, some of it's scripted. They're doing bits. At one point, there was like a fake animated red shark with a mustache. Like, you know, what do you expect? It's the Impractical Joker, so he didn't appreciate that. What about, we're going to talk a little ice cream later on on Throwback Thursday. You ever have custard? I'm a fan of custard, yeah. Mm. I don't have it all that often, but, uh, you know, what is the difference between custard and pudding? Do I have know? no idea. I don't, I, don't know, I don't think I've ever actually had custard before. <laughs> so I don't know. I can't eat ice cream anymore either. So I just stick to my frozen yogurt. What's wrong with ice cream? I it just and nothing's wrong. I love ice cream. It just doesn't sit with me anymore. Ah. You'll find out as you get older, right? Your body changes. There's just certain things you can't have anymore. And at a certain point, I woke up one day and okay, I can't eat ice cream anymore. There it goes. And to, believe you me, I tried. But you have a couple of bad experiences. You're like, all right, I'm cutting that out of my diet. So I haven't had ice cream now in uh, in eight years. 
about wow. eight years this month. I remember. I remember the last few times. It, they were bad experiences. I remember the last few times I had ice cream. So, yeah, it, it, it sucks getting old. I can't eat ice cream. Ice cream. What, what more? I was talking about this with a neighbor the other day. Uh, the neighbor, I was carrying what looked like a pizza box. It actually wasn't, but I wasn't going to correct her. And she said, oh, man, pizza. She said, nothing cheers you up like pizza. And I said, yeah, I think pizza is the most universal thing. But then she also said wine, and I think we also came up with chocolate or maybe ice cream as well. Like those are the uni- like when you're in a bad mood, you need to pick me up or someone's feeling down. Pizza is always going to get you going. Nobody dislikes pizza. Yeah, maybe wine if you're of age or your drink of choice. And then chocolate, but maybe more specifically ice cream. Whenever people are feeling down, right, especially movies, shows, what do you always see? Them sitting in bed eating ice cream. Ice cream, it's the best. Love ice cream. Just can't have it. But we're going to talk more about ice cream later on this hour. Right now, let me talk about uh, a little more quarterback play. We'll get to the ACC coming up. Uh, Trevor Lawrence. I want to touch on uh, Trevor Lawrence for a moment. You know, I think Trevor Lawrence, it'll be interesting. We look back at this past year with Urban Meyer. It's such a disaster. It could be a blessing or it could be a curse. I said this at the time as it was unfolding last year, that it could be so bad you could stunt the growth of a quarterback. We've seen that before. You know, like maybe David Carr with the Houston Texans. It was such a disaster that he could not overcome the early struggles. And for him, it was the offensive line. He was getting sacked so much. and It was like once bitten, twice shy. He was shook the rest of his career. The fear that is, is that when it comes to Trevor Lawrence, you know, Urban did such a poor job or the Jaguars did such a poor job that he already stunted his growth. And it's like a kid when you're trying to raise a child. Something you do when they're really young may not seem like the biggest deal at the time. It could alter everything. For years to come, it could stunt their development, their growth, or even just certain things that uh, it helps build their personality or, you know, growing up when they become an adult, some of the trauma, they, whatever it may be. A lot of things that we do now or the way we are as adults are traced back to whatever may have happened or what your childhood was like. For Trevor Lawrence, it could take just that one year. It was such a disaster last year that he played terribly, right? He was bottom five in the league and QBR and had more interceptions than touchdowns, and went about a month without a 200-yard game. It was not good for the number one pick. Granted, on a bad team with a head coach that didn't belong, but it could have been such a disaster that you can't really come back from it. It sets him up to fail the rest of the way here. Or the positive could be that if Trevor Lawrence does start to play well, you know, the good thing is he had a fall guy last year, unintentionally so, and probably wasn't preferred. But Urban Meyer was such a disaster, couldn't make it through the first year. When we think back on that year of the Jaguars, you're going to think more about Urban Meyer. And Trevor Lawrence's struggles, you're going to put under that Urban Meyer umbrella. right? Urban Meyer is like the fall guy. You put the blame on him. You say, yeah, no wonder Trevor Lawrence didn't have a good year. Look at his coach. Look at what he was dealing with, Urban Meyer. And while oftentimes it's not great for a quarterback to change coaches and systems after just one year, Trevor Lawrence, obviously... It's addition by subtraction, and what an upgrade to get somebody like Doug Peterson, who played the position, who has coached the position, who has won a Super Bowl as a coach before, who has worked with young quarterbacks. I loved this move by the Jaguars this offseason. I think it's a big upgrade for Trevor Lawrence. And there are a couple of quarterbacks that are dealing with this right now, a couple of young quarterbacks. Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence are both in the same camp. Justin Fields just went through a coaching change as well after his first year. The difference is I think the Bears went in the wrong direction. I think the Jaguars went in the right direction. For the Bears, you go from an offensive coach. Now, look, was he the best coach? No, he wasn't, but at least it was an offensive coach who got to the playoffs with Mitch Trubisky multiple times before. And you replace him with 
a first-time head coach who's on the defensive side of the football and an inexperienced coaching staff on the offensive side of the football. Guys who have never done it before. Not great for Justin Fields. For Trevor Lawrence, the screw-up committed by the Jaguars was last year when you brought in Urban Meyer. And I'm, I'm guilty of it. Look, I'm not going to try to revise history. You could go find the shows, podcasted, in my opinions at the time. I actually did like the move. I thought it was going to work out at the time. I thought Trevor Lawrence could have a successful first season. I thought the Jaguars could surprise some people. I do think Urban Meyer is one of the best college football coaches of all time. I thought that could translate pretty well to the NFL. He knows football, or so it seemed. I'm not going to try to tell you. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you I thought something different a year ago now that uh, hindsight's 2020. No, I was dead wrong. I thought it was going to be a good match. But I would also say that if you're the Jaguars, Trevor Lawrence is the most important player you've ever had in your franchise. And as much as I like Urban Meyer as a college coach and as much success as he's had, I don't know if I would take that big of a gamble for my star quarterback to bring in Urban Meyer to the NFL for the first time, hoping it works out. When the track record has shown, a lot of great college coaches struggled in the NFL. I think I'd rather have a sure thing, a veteran, a guy who's done it before, who's worked with quarterbacks, so I know what I'm going to get, instead of hoping that Urban Meyer will come in and have success. That as my quarterback's learning on the job, so too is his head coach. I don't like that. It's the same thing with Justin Fields now this year. Justin Fields is still trying to learn the ropes. You're going to have a bunch of coaches trying to figure it out too. I don't like that. Where's the support? Everybody's figuring out together. Justin Fields is going to be looking around saying like, oh, what do we do here? I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to figure it out myself. I'm still, I'm still trying to learn. For Trevor Lawrence, that was last year at Urban Meyer. But I do think the Jaguars, right, like in Dumb and Dumber, totally redeemed themselves with Doug Peterson. Now, maybe this won't work out either, but on paper, it's, the, it's a much smarter move. And it's a big upgrade on paper to go from Urban Meyer to Doug Peterson. And we've seen this a lot for quarterbacks that, again, you typically wouldn't want to change up a head coach after just one year of a quarterback. It's not great for their development. But go back and look just in recent years. Jared Goff started off with Jeff Fisher. We were calling him a bust. Then came Sean McVay year two. And Goff suddenly was an MVP candidate. Baker Mayfield started off with Hugh Jackson, who was 0-16. He went 1-31 over two seasons. Baker wasn't great early on, but who was the fall guy? Hugh Jackson. Got run out of town. We thought, this guy's a joke. And then who replaced him? Freddie Kitchens, first-time head coach. Same idea. We thought, wow, this guy's a joke, too. And then Kevin Stefanski came in, got a good coach, and Baker made the playoffs. Last season, things fell apart, maybe because of the injury. Mitch Trubisky is another one. Was he the greatest quarterback? No. But he played a lot better after that first year. He had John Fox his first year. They fired Fox after that first season. You think, oh, this is not good for a young quarterback. But what did they give him? An offensive coach in Matt Nagy. And while Trubisky wasn't great, he did make the playoffs multiple times. And his numbers are probably better than you are led to believe. Not great. Probably shouldn't be a starter in this league. But we did see improvement, especially that first year, when they went from John Fox to then an offensive coach running things. Jalen Hurts is another one. Now, look, Jalen Hurts went from offensive coach to offensive coach, but maybe it just wasn't a good fit. And that first offensive coach was Doug Peterson, who I was just praising. But with Doug Peterson, Jalen Hurts, eh, didn't look great. Remember, Jalen Hurts got benched his rookie year. Got benched for, uh, I don't remember who it was, somebody who doesn't belong in the league. And then Nick Sirianni comes in last year, and Jalen Hurts, you know, looks much better, looks pretty good, gets the Eagles to the playoffs. And what Sirianni did that was great was the team started out slow last year. And then he said, you know what, I'm going to change up our style and I'm going to mold it around our quarterback. And they became the best running team in the league the second half of the year, went on a winning streak, made the playoffs. 
I think Doug Peterson can be a good coach. I think he can work well with Trevor Lawrence. I think he was a bad fit with Jalen Hurts. Nick Sirianni seems to be the better fit. Justin Herbert, similar. He had Anthony Lynn first year, fired him after his first year. Then Brandon Staley came in last year. Now we're talking about Justin Herbert's a top-five quarterback in the league. And the other one I'll give you from just the past about, you know, five, ten years, Derek Carr. Dennis Allen, a defensive coach, was his head coach when he began, Derek Carr. And he did not play great his first year. And then they replaced him with, I think it was Jack Del Rio, and in year two, Derek Carr was a pro bowler and had over 30 touchdown passes his second season. And he signed a huge contract early on, and we were talking, at one point, he was the highest paid quarterback in the league. And we were talking about Derek Carr, is he elite? So my point with these examples are, we've seen a lot of guys have bad first years. Head coach gets replaced, you think, that's not a good look. They already have to replace the head coach. This quarterback has to go through a second coaching staff in two years. That's not good for their growth. And yet, we see with that change, these guys get better. Maybe because they continue to grow from year one to year two, but also they get a better coach. Jared Goff, Baker Mayfield, Mitch Trubisky, Jalen Hurts, Justin Herbert, Derek Carr, all had coaching changes after year one, all got better. So for Justin Fields, for Trevor Lawrence, that's what you try to point to and be positive. Like, hey, maybe that can happen with us too. And you better hope it does if you're a Bears fan, a Jaguars fan, or a member of those organizations. But when it comes to the Jaguars, I like that move. I think that's an improvement to go from Urban Meyer to Doug Peterson. I think Trevor has a chance, at least, to be in that same category. And when you think back, look, things didn't work out for Baker in Cleveland. But when you think back to the beginning, you think, oh, yeah, well, I mean, Hugh Jackson was his coach. We mock Hugh Jackson more than Baker for those struggles. Uh, Similar for Jared Goff, right? You make fun of Jeff Fisher instead of Jared Goff. Uh, Even Mitch Trubisky, like John Fox, was his first uh, head coach. Same idea here. When we think back on Trevor Lawrence's first year, especially if he improves and he starts to play better, you won't say, like, yeah, but he was really bad as a rookie. No, you'll say, yeah, but that's because Urban Meyer was his head coach. Remember that disaster he had to start with? What an embarrassment with Urban Meyer running the Jaguars. So for Trevor Lawrence, it's a blessing and a curse. It's not great to have a first-time head coach in the NFL who doesn't know what he's doing and can't help you. You know, have that immediate growth when you come in the league, kind of puts you behind the eight ball. But at least he had a fall guy. He had somebody that we can all blame. Tua has this a little bit. Now, Tua, it was not after his first year, right? But you just fired Brian Flores. You bring in Mike McDaniel as an offensive coach. And if McDaniel can get the most out of Tua, again, it's not after his first year. This is going to be his third season. He's two years in. But if McDaniel can get the most out of Tua, you you, you kind of forget all the other stuff. I heard somebody say it about Jimmy Garoppolo yesterday and comparing Garoppolo to movies where, right, you only care about the ending. A bad movie can become good with a great ending. Vice versa, a great movie can, can can become bad with a terrible ending. We only care about the endings. We have recency bias in that sense. And if things end poorly, a lot of times you forget all the great times you had. In fact, this happens a lot in relationships. I would always say this to friends of mine. Right? They'd uh, get dumped or they'd break up with somebody, things would end poorly, and they, they would talk bad about that person that they were in a relationship with. It's like, hold on, wait a minute. Just two days ago, before you broke up, you were talking about how great they were. Now suddenly, right, your ego got hurt a little bit or you have hurt feelings, you got dumped, whatever it is, and now they're the worst person in the world? Don't forget about all the good times you had just because things ended poorly. Just because a relationship doesn't end in marriage, right, doesn't mean like it was a waste. No, you still had plenty of good times together, good experiences. Life's all about experiences. If Trevor Lawrence can turn things around, Justin Fields as well, Tua, all these guys, you only remember the ending. You don't remember that they were ter- Peyton Manning was terrible when he first came to the league. Troy Aikman too. Eh, you don't really talk about it. We just focus on the great ending. So for Trevor Lawrence, he has every opportunity still. He's only one year in to turn things around. I think the Doug Peterson hire is good. And I also think that the idea of Urban Meyer may not have been good for Trevor Lawrence in his first 12 months in the league, but you know what? 
In another sense, if Trevor starts to play well, eh, Urban's just a fall guy. You point back, and, yeah, no wonder Trevor stunk because of Urban Meyer. And you kind of wipe that first year out of your memory. You wipe the slow beginnings from your thoughts of Trevor and just remember when he became a Pro Bowl quarterback eventually by year three, four, five, whatever it may be. So Urban Meyer was a disaster for Trevor. Also could be an opportunity. Now, while we're on the uh, subject of quarterbacks, let's stay here for a moment and talk about a couple of other quarterbacks. First, in regards to Kyler Murray. Look, we spent some time earlier this week talking about uh, the ridiculous contract clause of Kyler Murray who needs to study film each week. The Internet is amazing. And I've always said this before. My favorite website online is Reddit because you can go on to Reddit and you will find things there that people online will, like if there's ever some sort of investigation in the news and you're reading about it, go on to Reddit. These people find things that you don't see anywhere else. It's amazing what people on the Internet can come up with and do and figure out and the different theories and even evidence they'll find online. So I say all that because Kyler Murray, we got this report about his contract with the independent study clause. He's got to watch film. Somebody online did a little bit of a case study where they went back and they looked at the release, and maybe it's just coincidence, but they looked at the release of Call of Duty video games and compared it to Kyler Murray's numbers. And it matches up that whenever the new Call of Duty comes out, Kyler Murray's numbers get worse that year. That's when he starts to fade. Maybe just a coincidence. But the theory, of course, is that when the new video game comes out, what do you think Kyler's doing? And he's not paying much, as much attention to his football or his team or working as hard or he's dividing up his attention. He doesn't play as well. It was the same concern with Baker last year when I think it was Call of Duty for Baker as well. In the first month of the game, he already put in like 100 hours of playing online. It's one of the reasons why the Browns were very upset with him. Now, I grew up playing video games, but we talked about it a few weeks ago when the Baker Mayfield story was released. I could never see myself playing 10 hours of video. Uh, the other one is DeAndre Ayton in the NBA. said the same thing. He stays up to like 5 a.m. every night playing video games. I can't do that. Never could do that. Even as a kid, I played a lot of video games. I could never play for like 10 hours straight all day long. I just don't have that in me. But I found that really interesting that when you talk about Kyler Murray, somebody online said, wait a minute, hold on we can directly tie his struggles to when the new Call of Duty video games come out. Because anybody who plays video games, you know when that new game comes out, you got to go get it the first day. You're so excited. You play it all weekend long. I'm guilty of that growing up. My brothers and I or my buddies and I, you go get even the new Madden or whatever, the new Halo, whatever, and you play it all weekend long. You have a sleepover and you stay up all night and you play it. That's the one time that I could play video games for a long time when you get that new game you've been looking forward to. But after that first weekend or the first week, it kind of wears off. I don't understand these guys that play 10 hours of video games a night. Can't do it. Especially if you're Baker Mayfield, you're a married man. But I found it fascinating, and I wonder if that's what's behind all this. That somebody on the Internet discovered this, and if they did, I'm sure the Cardinals know that when that new video game drops, yeah, he, he football now goes on the back burner. He's playing Call of Duty instead of watching his film. He's more interested in the new video game. And the other quarterback we have to talk about is Russell Wilson. Look, I love, I'm not a Packers fan. I hate the Packers. I'm a Vikings fan. But even I appreciated Aaron Rodgers showing up as Nicolas Cage's character from Con Air. And this is the big thing, right? Guys have to show up and uh, show out when they arrive at training camp. Russell Wilson showed up in essentially like a tank. He was in like a, one of those army jeeps. It was huge. But the most notable thing was that Russell Wilson was wearing his own jersey. He was wearing like a throwback Broncos jersey of Russell Wilson, number three with Wilson on the back. There are a couple of things you can't do. You can't give yourself your own nickname. And you cannot wear your own jersey in public. 
You can't do it. If you're Russell Wilson, if you're any athlete, you can't be walking around wearing your own jersey. It is so corny. Here is uh, former NFL defensive back Ryan Clark, who obviously knows a thing or two, right, about playing in the league, being a professional athlete. Here is Ryan Clark this morning on ESPN talking about Russell Wilson showing up to training camp for the photo ops, wearing his own Russell Wilson jersey. You wear that jersey for the games. You don't wear it when you show up to training camp. Here is Ryan Clark this morning. So, so we, we talked about Russell Wilson a little bit yesterday, and, uh, and Fred's always been on Russell Wilson's side. But I think these are some of the things that I find <laughs> strange, you know. Um, he could wear that jersey on Sunday, even Monday, or Thursdays now on the field over shoulder pads when you're playing because all of us know your number and we know your name. Um, I am trying to find something nice to say, Molly, actually, and I don't have anything nice okay. to say about it. And it would all seem like insults, and I don't want people to think I'm jumping on him. So what I'm going to say is he could choose to wear whatever the hell he wants. Yeah. I would not wear my own number. I was also not a future Hall of Famer. And so maybe he feels he's done enough where he can actually make this look cool. Ryan Clark this morning taking the high road with Russell Wilson. I won't be as high up on that road. You can't do it. You can't wear your own jersey. Can't give yourself a nickname. Can't talk in the third person. And you can't wear your own jersey around. I've always supported and defended Russell Wilson. I've always thought he's one of the more underrated quarterbacks. We were talking about quarterback tiers the other day. Executives in the league put him in the second tier. I don't know if he's fallen that far. He may still be a top-tier quarterback in the league. We'll see this year. I'm a big Russell Wilson guy. People close to me know it. We have football debates. I always defend Russell Wilson. I can't defend him here. And I also can't defend against the idea that he is the corniest star, the corniest star we've ever had. He is so corny. His different tweets, the videos he puts online, even his press conferences. There's a reason why the Legion of Boom, right, all hated this guy in Seattle. They're thinking, you're paying him over us? This corny guy? Right, people think he's kind of fabricated. He's not authentic. He's a little too polished. Certainly comes off that way. But this is so lame. You cannot show up in your own jersey. And it's not even like the game-worn jersey. It's not like it's not like he's showing up to practice with the jersey on that he's going to wear out onto the field. Like, hey, I'm here, ready to go. No, he shows up in an alternate uniform that you buy, like, in a store. He went to Dick's, got a jersey, and now he's wearing it to training camp. Can't do it. Don't give yourself your own nickname. Don't refer to yourself in the third person. And don't show up anywhere, if you're a professional athlete, with your own jersey on. Incredibly corny and lame. And Russell Wilson's the lamest of all the stars we've ever had. Great quarterback, incredibly corny and lame off the field. When we come back, more preseason accolades announced for the ACC. We'll touch on that next. The more Midday Show, right here on ESPN Radio. Overhead Door Company, the original garage door company, serving you for over 90 years. Call 843-767-0028 or overheaddoorco.com. Overhead Door Company of Charleston, proud to open Hour 2 of the Morrow Midday Show. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show.
It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Some more takeaways from the ACC preseason rankings. We'll get to that here on the Morrow Midday Show in just a moment. Speaking of which, we have the Southern Conference Media Days going on and the Citadel picked to finish eighth in the Southern Conference Coaches Poll for football this fall. The Citadel also picked to finish ninth in the media poll. So not great there towards the very bottom of the Southern Conference. But that's okay. That's how we like it at the Citadel because uh, then you get to put that chip on your shoulder, play underdog, and prove everybody wrong. Pull off a bunch of upsets. And the Bulldogs' first game, I think it's five weeks from today. Right, We're five weeks out from the start of the college football season in the Citadel. Heading out on the road for week one, five weeks from today. They'll play on Thursday night at the end of August. So looking forward to that. Now, the ACC, they're also doing all their preseason stuff because of their media days. Yesterday, we went through the preseason polls, same things, the standings, projecting the standings for the ACC. Then we also got news on the individual awards for the ACC. NC State's quarterback, Devin Leary, was voted ACC preseason player of the year. He got 40 of the votes. Then you had Wake Forest quarterback Sam Hartman get 30 of the votes. Miami's quarterback Tyler Van Dyke finished third with 21 of the votes. Then you have Virginia quarterback Brennan Armstrong. Then you have Malik Cunningham, so on and so forth. So a couple of things that stand out here. If you listen to the show, you know, always talking about quarterbacks. We've talked a lot about quarterbacks today because the quarterback is the most important position. And if you want to be good, you got to have a good quarterback in college football or the NFL. So when I look at the ACC, this is what I've been pushing all offseason about the ACC, that I think this conference could be a lot more interesting this year than people are giving it credit for. Now, maybe Clemson will just simply dominate and their defense will shut down all these quarterbacks and they'll run the table, maybe. But the concern number one for Clemson, their quarterback's not on this list. He didn't get the votes. Instead, you have NC State's quarterback, followed by Wake Forest's quarterback, followed by Miami's quarterback, followed by Virginia's quarterback, followed by Louisville's quarterback. So, at minimum... Right, that puts DJ, what, six? I'd also take Boston College's quarterback ahead of him. I don't think he's in the top six in his own conference. Not great. It's concerning. Could be troubling. Now, maybe Klubnik steps in this year, and he's better than all of them anyways. We'll see. The other takeaway drives home the point I always make, though, about how it's all about quarterbacks. Now, we could have a chicken and the egg conversation about how most of these awards are won by quarterbacks anyway, so when they're trying to predict or pick, you know, who's going to win the award anyways, you might as well go quarterback because that's what we do. And then it's a whole like little cycle here that, well, yeah, I expect a quarterback's going to win, and then you end up voting for a quarterback anyways, and yada, yada, yada. But the top five vote-getters in the ACC for player of the year, all quarterbacks, because quarterback is that important. And it takes me to my third takeaway from this, the quarterback that tops the list, Devin Leary. That's what I've been saying about NC State all offseason. I'll continue to pump those tires up. NC State right finished second last year. They bring back more starters than anybody in the conference. Experienced coach, no changes on the coaching staff. Quarterbacks coming back, Devin Leary, who last year had seven touchdowns for every one interception, and half of those interceptions were, you know, kind of chuck them up. They were arm punts, essentially. Played really well. Better than a lot of people thought. Maybe didn't get noticed. Good enough to beat Clemson a year ago. Now he comes back. He is the preseason player of the year. So you give me NC State with more continuity than any team in the conference, with potentially, on paper, the best player and the best quarterback in the conference, 
experienced coach who's been there a long time, a team that was already pretty good last year. Most guys coming back on the defense from a year ago. Their defense finished second behind Clemson. Right, Quarter, start quarterback coming back, continuity on the coaching staff. There's a lot of things to like about this NC State team. And then you have Sam Hartman right after that. Right, Wake Forest, I think, is the other best team behind Clemson in that division, or behind Clemson and NC State, I should say. Tyler Van Dyke, most vote, uh, votes of any player in the Coastal. I think Miami wins the Coastal. I also told you uh, Virginia may be a little underrated this year. Brennan Armstrong finished after him in terms of votes. So number one, quarterbacks are most important. Number two, don't sleep on NC State because of their quarterback, Devin Leary, and those other factors. And number three, it's the concern for Clemson. The defense could be really good. Will Shipley could have a big-time year. Maybe Clemson doesn't skip a beat with their new coordinators. But if you want to win big, you want to go win a national championship, you want to compete at the highest level, you need that top-end quarterback. I don't think Clemson has it. If you look at the NFL, you go back and you look, usually the team that wins the division usually has the best quarterback, if not top two. The team that finishes in the last place usually has the worst quarterback. Because even like Aaron Rodgers can make up the difference on a bad team. Right? Like even a Patrick Mahomes, if you put these guys on a bad team, Deshaun Watson won the division with Houston a couple of years when they didn't have a whole lot around him. Bad quarterbacks will make up the difference. Not often do you see a good quarterback. They say a bad quarterback will make up the a good quarterback will make up the difference. Not often do you see a good quarterback will finish in last place. Every once in a while it does happen. But rarely is the best quarterback in that division going to be on the last place team. You get the quarterback, you get a chance. And so my point being, when you look at Clemson, and you tell me, like, eh, maybe they have the seventh-best quarterback in the conference. Well, that's not great. Because usually the standings kind of match up with the power rankings of the quarterbacks, or pretty close to it. Not always the case. Like Clemson last year probably had a better record than they should have if you were just simply looking at quarterback performance across the conference. But this year, there's some interesting quarterback play. Everybody in Clemson's division is bringing back their quarterback from last year. So they're all going to be experienced. There's no new faces, guys that are a little bit older, that have played in their systems, that have starts under their belts, and a lot of them better than DJ. It's my concern. Now, look, I still pick Clemson to win the ACC, but I do think the ACC could be more interesting this year than people believe. We always write off the ACC, ah, it's Clemson and nobody else. Who cares about that conference? And it's probably still true. Last year when Clemson took a step back, right, we largely ignored the ACC. Pittsburgh and Wake Forest were never in the playoff contention. This conference could be intriguing. NC State could be tough. We'll see if Wake Forest follows up last year. I think Miami will be much improved. We'll see about Pittsburgh if they can play like they did a year ago. I think Virginia could be a little underrated. I think Boston College could be slept on. I think Louisville with Malik Cunningham could be interesting to watch. UNC maybe will be better this year under Mac Brown. There's a lot of intrigue in that conference and a lot of good quarterbacks. That's the thing about college football this year. A lot of good quarterback play. And I think football, you're only as healthy as your quarterbacks are. The NFL went through this a few years ago where a bunch of quarterbacks got injured and you had to watch backups like Derek Anderson play on Monday Night Football, and that's when the NFL altered some of the rules. They said, nope, we can't do this again. we got to keep our quarterbacks on the field. You're only as good as you know your top quarterbacks. And when you look at college football this year, there are some really intriguing quarterbacks. Long list. This past quarterback draft class, not great. This year, if you just want to focus on the draft class, right? Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, Tyler Van Dyke, Jaron Hall at BYU. Grayson McCall at Coastal, Will Levis and Hendon Hooker in the SEC along with Spencer Rattler. And then in the ACC, maybe a Slovis, right? Hartman, Jerkovich, the other ones I already mentioned. And those are just draft eligible. That would be even excluding somebody like a Caleb Williams. A lot of interesting quarterbacks in the country, especially in the ACC and the SEC this year, which should make those conferences specifically a lot of fun.
but a couple of things that stood out from the personal preseason awards in the ACC. Now, with all that said, let's take it with a grain of salt. So what I always say about these preseason rankings, preseason awards, I usually don't care. Preseason watch list, I really typically don't care what you choose. It's always like uh, giving out the awards for movies before actually seeing them or just based on the trailer. Now, you watch a trailer and think, that's the movie of the year. Eh, we have no idea. You have to actually go there, there, sit down, watch the film, give it the two hours, and then, oh, actually, you know, it wasn't as good as I thought. Same idea. We have to actually watch the games, see what's the point of a watch list or preseason awards. None of these guys have taken the field. We have no idea what's going to happen this year. It's all just based off of assumptions and guess. Just like when you see that trailer, that commercial on TV, you assume, like, eh, I don't think that's going to be very good. Sometimes you're pleasantly surprised. Vice versa. You see a trailer and you think, wow, that movie looks great. Then you watch it. It's terrible. We can't just give out awards based off of what you think off a trailer. Just like it's pointless, it's a pointless exercise to give out awards and such based off of what we think is going to happen this year in football. We really don't know. But we do have an idea, and the idea is eh, some good quarterbacks in the ACC, maybe some more depth in that conference. And DJ is certainly not one of the top quarterbacks. We'll see how things play out this year in that conference. When we come back, it is a throwback Thursday. So when we come back, we have to talk about maybe one of your favorite treats that is sadly disappearing. It's the Morrow Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Now back to the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. It is a throwback Thursday, and we got some sad news this week that I saw a lot of people reacting to. The news of maybe one of your favorite treats no longer continuing, being taken away, being discontinued in the ice cream world. Before we dive into all that, you know, growing up, I don't remember ice cream trucks being around. I grew up in the suburbs. I don't really remember ice cream trucks being around, maybe. Now, where I currently live now, I see an ice cream truck every once in a while. I hear the music. I even may go running outside a little bit. I can't eat ice cream anymore, but even just to take a look. In fact, now sometimes you hear that music. I'll go outside. I'll see it's one of these new, they got these new, uh, like, adult beverage ice cream trucks where you're getting, um, like, frozen drinks from what is essentially like an ice cream truck. And we have all sorts of these different trucks, not even food trucks, but you have, like, the Kona ice, right, where you get the flavored ice now from a, from a truck. We got all, diff- all sorts of different trucks. You could get everything out of a truck nowadays. But the ice cream truck is the OG. Now, Anderson, growing up, did you have uh, ice cream truck experiences in your life? Uh, I did not until I moved down to Charleston. Yeah, oh. so over, over in Atlanta, I was in the suburbs as well, so uh, I guess we didn't have one there. But, um, yeah. yeah, once we moved down here, we, we had them a lot. I would see them a lot. Uh, right, You go to the beach, obviously. That's a big spot. You get an ice cream truck there. And there's always, like, the Italian ice truck and everything. Anyways, we're talking a lot this week, or people are, about uh, various ice creams in the ice cream truck because Klondike announced that they're discontinuing the Choco Taco 
Now, I was always interested in the pronunciation of this. It's a lot like Reese's Pieces. Right? It's pieces. But we always say Reese's Pieces. Or most people say that because it just rhymes. Instead of Reese's Pieces. But we know that word, how it's spelled, it's pieces. Same idea with the Choco Taco. Same idea, I guess because it rhymes, Choco Taco. But when you talk about chocolate, it's not chocolate. I mean, you may say it that way. Right? But the Choco Taco? Anyways, the Choco Taco is fantastic. It was announced this week that it's going to be discontinued. And this upset a lot of people. Now, as I always say, nostalgia is a very strong thing. So maybe the Choco Taco is your go-to. It's been produced for 40 years. So this isn't some sort of millennial thing. Right? I mean, they've been making Choco Tacos since the 80s, early 80s. If you're of a certain age growing up, you may have gone with the Choco Taco. I love a nice Choco Taco. But no more. And the problem is because they said, well, it's just not selling as much as it used to. People aren't as into the Choco Taco. This is very disappointing. Now, I can't eat ice cream anymore, so I blame everybody else. But if you're discouraged of the Choco Taco disappearing, the question would be, where have you been? you got to be getting out to these ice cream trucks or even the grocery store. I'm sure they sell them in certain stores or gas stations. you got to be buying these Choco Tacos. But Klondike said no more with the Choco Tacos. Now, Klondike does some good things, right? I mean, the Klondike bar, of course, is the classic. And over the years, they have added all sorts of different types of Klondike bars. I used to love the Klondike bar. In fact, if you go into the Morrow household right now, you'll probably find some Klondike. Not, not my household. I can't eat ice cream. But you go into the parents' house, you'll probably find some Klondikes in that freezer right now. Love a good Klondike. And they have added all sorts of different Klondikes over the years where you have, like, the mint chocolate chip now. Or you have, like, the Heath one. Or you have where the outside is a, a different type of, like, a crunch Klondike. And different flavors inside. The peanut butter, like the Reese's uh, peanut uh, Klondike is delicious. Klondike also does just the cookie ice cream sandwiches and the regular ice cream sandwiches as well. And if you go to their website now, the Choco Taco is still there on the homepage, which is very, I mean, that's just throwing salt in the wound. And if you're unfamiliar, it looks like a taco. It's covered in chocolate. It's got vanilla ice cream inside with a little chocolate swirl. And on the chocolate covering also seems to be some sort of like uh, almost nuts. I don't know if they're just peanuts or if it's hazelnut or what. Whatever is spread in there, the Choco Taco is delicious. On this Throwback Thursday, let's talk about ice cream trucks. I could tell you growing up in the suburbs, we maybe didn't get a ton of ice cream trucks coming around, but we were very simple ice cream people. I try to tell those around here, I am not bougie, despite what Bobby may claim. And growing up, the tradition was simply just going to the gas station. My father would take myself and my brothers when we were kids to the gas station, and we would go get an ice cream, and we'd sit outside, and we'd have it, and that would be such a thrill. And my top ice creams, and you could get these in food trucks, when you go to a food truck, you're probably trying to get something a little more special. Now, you don't go for the basic. Like, the ice cream sandwich is the old reliable. But if I'm going to an ice cream truck, I'm not settling for the old ice cream sandwich. That's what you used to have in the freezer. You go over to a friend's house, and the mother busts out all the ice cream sandwiches. You go to a birthday party, right? The ice cream sandwich is the obvious one. And they're solid, but they're small. They're not all that filling. And you've been there, you've done that. You want to get something more creative at the ice cream truck. But I'll tell you, my favorite ice creams growing up, ice cream bars we're talking. We're not talking flavors. We're not talking soft serve. But it was simply the the three uh, different types of the same ice cream. You either had the chocolate eclair or you had the toasted almond or you had the strawberry shortcake. And I don't know the brand who makes those ice creams. I can picture them now. I think it's good humor. But those are fantastic. Those are the best ones. And we used to go to the gas station growing up and get those, one of, one of those. I had two brothers. We usually each would get a different one. But those are my go-tos. Those are the ice creams I would get every time. And I go sit outside and eat my toasted almond, and those things are delicious.
Also, always loved the Flintstones push-ups. The little push-up pops, you keep those in your freezer. The Flintstones, you get those in an ice cream truck, fantastic. But again, if I'm going ice cream truck, I'm not looking for a popsicle. You ever get one of the firecracker popsicles where it's the red, white, and blue right on a, on a popsicle stick? Like, those are solid, too, but that's something you keep in the freezer. People come over in the summer, you can bust out the firecracker popsicles. When you go to an ice cream truck, you got to get ice cream. You can't do a popsicle. Maybe you were a, sponge, a SpongeBob popsicle guy or whatever the character may have been back in the day. You could get, like, a Mickey Mouse one. They had, like, Looney Tunes back in the day. Now SpongeBob's all the rage these days. Sometimes the nose would be like a gumball. I'm not into the character pops. They're solid, but you got to go ice cream, which is why the Choco Taco was so popular. Because when you go to an ice cream truck, you have to go with actual ice cream. And you have the old reliables, the chocolate chip cookie sandwich. You have maybe a creamsicle. You have uh, just their old ice cream sandwich. And then, of course, you also have the drumstick, right, the waffle cones. Now, I tell you, if I go get soft serve, I don't like a cone. But if we're talking frozen ice cream and ice cream treats, the waffle cone's not bad. And the drumstick's pretty solid. Where it's uh, the the cone and it's vanilla ice cream covered in chocolate, and you got nuts on that thing as well. And now, right? Oh, what a game changer! When they started to add chocolate on the inside as well, and you see these commercials nowadays, and not only is it the vanilla ice cream covered in chocolate, but now the vanilla has some chocolate inside. That's good stuff. When they added that to the ice cream truck, oh, game changer! Growing up, I also used to love to get, and I don't know why. This was a poor job by me. This was pat- bad ice cream truck management. Bad awareness on my part. I used to get candy cigarettes as a kid. Everybody loved the candy cigarettes. You thought it made you look cool and felt older. Those things were disgusting, though. There was nothing candy about them. And I remember getting those at food tr- uh, ice cream trucks. You could get anything in the world, all the different ice creams they have. They have that big menu outside on the outside of the truck, and really all the menu is is they just like ripped off a photo from uh, one of the boxes and taped it on the outside of the truck. You show up to an ice cream truck. They got the corny music playing. You're looking at all the different options they have. Some of them they have to cross out. Ah, eh, we don't have that anymore. Right, it's such a fugazi menu that they put on the side of the ice cream truck. The thing's being held together with duct tape. And every once in a while, I would waste my parents' hard-earned money. You get, all right, you have a dollar. Go to the ice cream truck, get whatever you want. I'd get candy cigarettes. Oh, what a disappointment that was. And the candy cigarettes were terrible. But you'd walk around, and you, you thought, you know, it made you look cool. Maybe you were one that would get the screwball, which was another more uh, popsicle. It's kind of like shaved ice or Italian ice type of deal. And it have, like, the gumballs at the bottom? No, thank you. Don't waste my time at the food truck with that. Fudge pops were always solid, but, you know, those could be a mess. They start melting on you. Or the various Klondikes. But I always thought the Choco Taco was one of the best things you could get on an ice cream truck. And just in terms of ice cream bars in general, you could never go wrong. With the strawberry shortcake or the toasted almond or the chocolate eclair. Good humor bars. Those are fantastic. Nowadays, I don't know, how, how prevalent, how popular are ice cream trucks nowadays? Especially with inflation, right? Back in the day, you could go get an ice cream for like a dollar at one of those things, maybe two bucks. Now people don't have cash with them as often. We're all a little more cautious about trying to get things out of strangers' vehicles. Right? You, don't want to, you don't want to send your kids over to even the ice cream truck. Uh, you could get ice cream anywhere in the world now. You go into a gas station, a grocery store, everywhere they got ice cream. All sorts of other options nowadays. Maybe people, you know, also kids aren't outside as often nowadays. You go to a park, they're not as busy as they once were. I'm curious what the ice cream truck business is like these days. It's got to be hurting.
Maybe that's why the Choco Taco is being discontinued. People just aren't buying enough ice cream in the uh, ice cream uh, trucks anymore. So on this Throwback Thursday, we pour one out for one of the best treats you could ever get at an ice cream truck. The Choco Taco being discontinued this week after more than 40 years being produced by Klondike. It's not going to be the same when you walk up to that ice cream truck anymore hoping to get your Choco Taco. You're going to have to settle for a snow cone, which is another big disappointment from the ice cream truck. We'll wrap up Hour 2 next. The more Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. tell you what when you were a kid on a throwback thursday there's nothing greater than when you heard the ice cream truck you'd hear it from afar and those things i mean you could walk faster than the ice cream truck they're going so slow hoping people come running towards them but when you'd be outside or even if you're inside and you hear the ice cream truck coming down the street and you start yelling to your parents and asking for like a dollar and quarters or something or two bucks whatever it would be cost to go get an ice cream and you go running outside and you catch the truck and all the kids from the neighborhood are there and you get yourself probably a choco taco there was nothing better in the middle of uh, the dead heat of summer than when that ice cream truck rolled around the corner. Anderson, I ask you, you go to an ice cream truck, did you have a go-to ice cream you'd have to get from said truck? My two big ones were the Choco Taco. Of course. And the uh, strawberry shortcake thing. That's right. Best two. Absolutely. I would occasionally throw in the little SpongeBob thing. Yeah, that's popular. Yeah, it was was not on the same level as those other two, though. No, see, that's the thing. When you go to an ice cream truck, you can't do a popsicle. And they got all sorts of popsicles there. Half the options are popsicles. You got to do ice cream. But absolutely, the SpongeBob one, or if you're of a certain age, like they had the Tweety originally, they had all sorts of different characters over the years. Nowadays, the past 20 years, it's been all about SpongeBob. He's been all the rage. And rightfully so. But yes, the Choco Taco's huge. Or the Good Humor Bars. Yeah, the Chocolate Eclair or Strawberry Shortcake, or I love that, Toasted Almond. Anything with almond in it, it's delicious. Since we were on the subject, I just saw New York Times had an article this week about how the uh, ice cream trucks are disappearing because of gas prices, inflation. The price of sprinkles has doubled in the past year. A 25-pound box of sprinkles now goes for 60 bucks. So between gas prices, inflation, kids aren't out as often as they once were. Plus, you can get ice cream delivered to the house now. You don't need to wait on the ice cream truck. And if we're being honest, look, I love the ice cream truck. A lot of it's nostalgia. I can go get myself a good humor bar at the ice cream truck, or I could go down the street and get the ice cream myself and put all sorts of different toppings on it, right? You go to these different ice cream places. You make your own sundaes now, or even you go to a Froyo place. You put all sorts of toppings. You put as much ice cream or yogurt as you want. It costs only a few bucks. I mean, that's probably better than waiting for the SpongeBob popsicle to come through your neighborhood. Hour three, coming up next. It's the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. WTMZ, 98.9 FM, WTMZ, 910 AM and 94.7 FM, W234CD, Dorchester Terrace, Brentwood, Charleston. This is the Morrow Midday Show. But wait, there's more. On ESPN Radio.
Final hour of the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. If you ever miss anything from the show, you can always catch it on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston however you listen to your podcasts. And the podcast is available online at charlestonsportsradio.com. We'll catch up with a member of the Charleston Battery in about 30 minutes. Plenty to do between now and then. Talk about uh, the toughest schedules in the NFL this year and what the NFL does so well. Also, who is the third best team in the SEC this season? We'll get to that coming up. And a lot more over the next hour. You can always get in touch with the show. Head over to charlestonsportsradio.com. Click on our show page. Leave a comment there. Get to us on Twitter at Morrow Middays. You can always text the show, 843-608-1734. Get to us on the phones as well, 843-721-9500. Closed out last hour talking about ice cream trucks and the famed Choco Taco. I think that'd be high up in the most people's power rankings of the best thing you could get from an ice cream truck. And yet, sadly, the tradition has not carried on as is being discontinued. Announced this week after 40 years of being made by Klondike. The poor Choco Taco. Grab one while you still can before they uh, evidently disappear for good, it seems. Hey, earlier this week, or maybe it was last week, we were talking about um, Mike Sando, every year for The Athletic, does an interesting ranking of quarterbacks in the NFL. And he puts the quarterbacks in different tiers, and he does it based off of uh, a poll he does with various people in the NFL, coaches, executives, and they rank all the different quarterbacks. And then Mike gets that data, and he puts the different quarterbacks into different tiers. And we spent some time on that earlier this week, and it's always an interesting article, but what's also interesting is what comes from said article. And so they always follow that up by then taking those tiers of quarterbacks and looking at each team's NFL schedule. Because we know how important and valuable quarterbacks are. And so if you have to face a lot of good quarterbacks, it makes your schedule even tougher. So the Athletic put that list together. They released the article today looking at which NFL teams face the toughest schedules. And this is based off of simply the quarterbacks that they have to go up against, which is probably the best way to do it because, again, if you have a good quarterback, you got a pretty good team. Hard to beat good quarterbacks. A couple of takeaways from this. First, let me give you the order. We're not going to run through the whole league, but if you look at the top of the list, the Chiefs actually have the toughest quarterback schedule in terms of quarterbacks they are facing. The Titans sit at number two. Then you have the Broncos at three, of course, in that tough division. The Rams are fourth. The Raiders are fifth. You also have the Chargers that are seventh. They're in the top ten. You have the Niners are ninth. The Patriots are tenth. Then you get to the Atlanta Falcons at 11th. So on and so forth. You can go find the full ranking at the Athletic. A couple of takeaways, though, from this ranking, this idea. Number one, of course, some of the better teams are higher up on this list because this is what the NFL does. When you win your division, you play a first-place schedule. If you finish last place in your division, you face a last-place schedule. It's the difference between the NFL and college football. I said it earlier today, and I've said it before. I'll say it again. Right? That The NFL is designed to have that parity, to have those surprises, to put everybody on a level playing field to try to keep from experiencing what we just did with the Patriots for 20 years. They make it really hard on you. You pick at the end of the rounds. You're at the back of the waiver wire. You get the tougher schedule. 
and yet the Patriots kept winning, which is why they were so impressive in what they were able to do. It is hard to sustain long-term success in the NFL because, well, the league, they make it challenging for you. College football, it's the opposite. They make it easier for the better teams. They make it harder for the teams that aren't quite as good. It's a lot harder to close that gap. Alabama, they just continue to get the best players. They get to make the easiest schedule. They're already put into the top five preseason. Right? They're given the benefit of the doubt. Maybe there's even a little favoritism along the way in various things with Alabama. They can spend more money on coaching staff, so on and so forth. The NFL is the opposite. So with that said, when you look at the NFL again, right, you have the Chiefs, number one. The Titans, number two. The Broncos now at Russell Wilson, number three on this list. The Rams, who just won the Super Bowl, are number four. No breaks for the top teams. No, you're going to be challenged. You're going to play the toughest schedules. The Raiders are number five. They were a playoff team with Derek Carr. You got the Chargers, number seven. Good team. You got the Niners, NFC Conference Championship game from a year ago. They're number nine. Patriots are a playoff team. They're number 10. Right? The good teams, you're going to be challenged. It's not going to be a cakewalk this year. It's only going to get harder. Meanwhile, if you go to the bottom of the list, the teams with the easiest schedules uh, based off of the quarterbacks they're facing, the Washington Commanders, who had a losing record last year, they're 32nd. The Philadelphia Eagles did make the playoffs last year. They're 31st. The Bears are 30th. Giants, 29th. Lions, 28th. Then, of course, the Packers, who always seem to get scheduling breaks, they're 27th. But also towards the back end, the Vikings who miss the playoffs. The Colts miss the playoffs. The Panthers are 22nd, so they're in the bottom 10. You get the idea. right? A lot of bad teams are at the bottom of this list where they have some easier schedules. A lot of good teams are towards the top of the list where they have some tougher schedules. That's by design. The other great thing about this is something I said earlier that I think football is only as healthy as the quarterbacks. College football is only as healthy as the top-end quarterback talent that you can watch each week. Same with the NFL. It's why the AAF and the XFL and all these other leagues fail. Quarterbacks aren't good enough. The NFL, you would be less interested if it's a bunch of backups. It's why, you know, when preseason football begins a week from now, Anderson and I were discussing it earlier. You know, you'll watch maybe the first quarter, starters come out of the game, most people, you're changing the channel. Like, all right, that was fun. I don't need to watch the backups. You want to watch top-end quarterback talent. So when you look at the Kansas City Chiefs, for example, the Chiefs face the toughest schedule of quarterbacks this year. We know their quarterback is Patrick Mahomes. Well, here's who they get to play. Tom Brady, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, Matt Stafford, Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, Derek Carr. You also have Matt Ryan and Trevor Lawrence on the schedule, Trey Lance and Ryan Tannehill. Point being, think about those quarterback matchups you get throughout the year. Patrick Mahomes will face Tom Brady this year. Mahomes will face Josh Allen. Mahomes will face Justin Herbert. He'll face Joe Burrow. It speaks to the amount of quarterback talent and the depth of the AFC this year. But it also speaks to the great job done by the NFL. But you have these great quarterback matchups. You pair the top teams together, which usually have the best quarterbacks. They've done a good job protecting said quarterbacks. And this year on paper, we get quite a few top-end matchups. Mahomes will face the other Tier 1 quarterbacks. right? If you look at the Broncos, now that they have Russell Wilson, well, they, of course, will face Mahomes and Herbert and Carr in their own division, but you also get Russell Wilson against Matt Stafford this year and Russell Wilson against Lamar Jackson and Russell Wilson against Kyler Murray. And, yes, Russell Wilson against Trevor Lawrence, too. right? The Rams with Matt Stafford, he'll face Rodgers this year and Mahomes and Brady and Josh Allen and Justin Herbert and Russell Wilson and Carr and Dak Prescott. Great quarterback matchups. And the league's only as good 
as those quarterback matchups. Then we get to the two teams closest to home, the Falcons and the Panthers. Here's the thing. As I laid out a moment ago, right, when you're a bad team, you get the easier schedule. And so when you look at this list, it's not perfect, but most of the good teams are towards the top of this list. They have the tougher schedules. Most of the bad teams are towards the bottom of this list. They have the easier schedules. The Panthers are in the bottom ten. Well, that's because they won five games last year. They get some of the schedule breaks. So the Panthers this year have one of the ten easier schedules based off of the quarterbacks they face, or they will face. In their division, of course, you have to deal with Tom Brady twice. You'll also have to face Joe Burrow. The Panthers will have to face Matt Stafford this year, Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray. Doesn't sound like the easiest thing, but that is one of the easier quarterback schedules, which just shows how good quarterback play is in the NFL right now. Then the Panthers also get to face Jared Goff and Jameis Winston and Trey Lance and Daniel Jones and Marcus Mariota and Mitch Trubisky and Drew Locke and Jacoby Brissett. Right, half of their games are against quarterbacks that certainly are beatable. So the Panthers are right in line. They won five games last year. Right, They get one of the easier schedules. The Falcons, however, they did win seven games, but they were under 500, got blown out a lot last year, are going to be even worse this year. And based off of this one exercise, they have the 11th toughest schedule in the league this year. They face the 11th toughest group of quarterbacks. The Falcons will have to face Brady twice, of course. Then you get Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow and Stafford, and Lamar Jackson, and Kyler Murray, and probably Baker Mayfield twice. Some tough matchups. You'll also get Carson Wentz, Jameis Winston, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, Mitch Trubisky, we assume, and Drew Locke. So the Falcons do not catch much of a break. For example, the Falcons finished in third place in their division last year. So too did the Chargers. So the Falcons are on that third-place schedule. They face the third-place Chargers. We know the Chargers are not a normal third-place team. That was a bit of a bad break for the Atlanta Falcons in the schedule. Then, obviously, you get Brady twice in your own division. We'll see how Baker Mayfield does for Carolina. They do get Cleveland early in the season, so that helps. You imagine Deshaun Watson won't be playing in that game. But when you have to face the AFC North and the NFC West, those are some tough quarterbacks. But the Falcons are 11th on this list. list. The Panthers are 22nd. That's a big difference. You go into a game, or if you want to look at a schedule, and you wonder, like, how many games do we have the better quarterback then? If you look at the Carolina Panthers, Baker Mayfield, how many of these quarterbacks is he better than? Not Tom Brady, not Joe Burrow, not Matt Stafford, not Russell Wilson, not Lamar Jackson, not Kyler Murray, none of those guys. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of the games already you go in with that quarterback deficiency. Then you look at the other games. Jared Goff, eh, maybe, right, could be debated, probably. Baker probably should be better. Than Jared Goff in Detroit. Jameis Winston, again, could be debated. Jameis has some pretty good weapons in New Orleans. Baker could have a better year. Maybe should have a better year. Trey Lance, that Baker should be better, but, you know, Trey's in a pretty good situation there in San Francisco. Daniel Jones, right? Baker should be better. Marcus Mariota, Mitch Trubisky, Drew Locke, Jacoby Brissett. Baker should be better than those guys. So when you look at the Panthers' schedule, it's why they're bottom 10 in terms of toughest schedules. Theirs is one of the 10 easiest because – Yeah, Baker may be better. The Panthers may go into 10 out of their 17 games where they feel like, hey, you know what? We may have the better quarterback. For the Falcons with Marcus Mariota, well, let's run through their schedule quick. You get Tom Brady twice, yeah, no chance. You don't have the better quarterback. Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, nope. Matt Stafford, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, nope. Then you get to Baker Mayfield twice. I would say no. Marcus Mariota better than Baker Mayfield? I don't think so. Carson Wentz? 
Uh, probably not. Jameis Winston? Um, probably not. Then you get to Justin Fields, Trey Lance, Mitch Trubisky, Drew Locke. I would hope Mariota plays better than Trubisky and Locke. They're all kind of in that same camp. Former starters that lost their opportunity and now trying to take advantage of a second chance with another team. Trey Lance, it'd be his first year starting. Maybe Mariota would be better. Justin Fields, with nothing around him, maybe Mariota could be better. But you're only talking about maybe four or five games that are on the Falcons' schedule where you're going to go in thinking, yeah, we have the better quarterback. And a lot of times, the team with the better quarterback is the one that's going to win. The Falcons won't have many of those this year. The Panthers will have a few more, especially if Baker plays well. But it's always interesting to look at this uh, exercise, this list put together. Those are some of my takeaways. It's what the NFL does well. They make things tough on their good teams. It leads to great matchups. They make sure you know quarterbacks are healthy. We get a lot of good quarterback matchups. It's exciting for the fans. They make things tough on their good teams. They make it easier on the bad teams. When you look at this, right, the Panthers get some schedule breaks. May have the better quarterback in more than half of their games. The Falcons, they take a beating. Even though the Falcons had a losing record last year and didn't play great and will be bad this year, they don't get many schedule breaks. Only in about four or five of their games this year, right? Less than a third could you say, yeah, we probably do have the better quarterback to make it a long year for Atlanta. When we come back, who is the third best team in the SEC? Right, Alabama and Georgia seem to be a clear top two. Who's next? We'll get to that next. It's the Morrow Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Now back to the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Who's the third best team in the SEC this year? Get to that on the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow on ESPN Radio. Catch up with a member of the Charleston Battery in about 12 minutes. Talk a little soccer. But first, let's look at the SEC. You know, high school football practice has begun around here today, so uh, football's right around the corner a month away from the start of the college football season. And when you look at the SEC, we assume, right, Alabama, Georgia, two best teams. Clearly the best team in each division. I think the SEC gives us the best chance of having another repeat of last year's conference championship game. But then the question becomes, who's the next best team? I saw Heather Dinich talking this morning on ESPN's Get Up. They were doing a series of topics. She gave her five top players in college football for this year. She gave her three most interesting games in college football this year. And they were talking about Texas A&M and Alabama and that game coming up on October 8th. They did a bold prediction segment where Heather said one of her bold predictions was that Saban was actually going to slap Jimbo Fisher upside the head on the field after the game. I don't think that will happen, but it is pretty bold. And as they were talking about that matchup and talking about Texas A&M, Heather was talking about if Texas A&M has closed the gap with Alabama, are they the third best program now in the SEC, or will they be this year? Here's what Heather had to say about a&M trying to close that gap with Alabama. His players think that they are. I talked to them last week at SEC Media Days. I asked Jimbo this question almost every year for the past couple of years. So they think they are. They're recruiting that way. They beat them last year. Let's not forget that. But it takes more than just a win against Alabama to really become elite in the SEC. You've got to win the West. They couldn't do that last year. 
They lost to Arkansas. I like Arkansas a lot this year with K.J. Jefferson and their coach Sam Pittman. So I think in order to prove that you're elite in the SEC West, you've got to win the West, and they're not there yet. Heather Dennis this morning. Yeah, you know, it's like the old, uh, it's become a cliche, it's become a joke, a talking point, but you may be old enough to remember the conversations of Joe Flacco. Is he elite? And that was the first time we really started to throw that term around in football, and now, you know, elite we always use. Is this quarterback elite? How many elite quarterbacks are there? Is this program elite? But Joe Flacco, that was always the debate. Is he an elite quarterback? And it became like a caricature of itself because of how often we talked about it and the people making the claims, Joe Flacco is elite. And that idea of uh, is he or, or is he not, and we kept having the conversations, even when like there wasn't enough evidence there to even have the conversation. Sure, he did win a Super Bowl. Can't take that away. He played really good in the playoffs. But otherwise, right, somebody doesn't become elite because of one month of football. And so point being, I think it's similar to Texas A&M. Texas A&M is almost getting to that Texas territory or Miami or USC where every year we ask, are they back? Every year we say, like, Texas A&M, is this the year? Are they now closing the gap with Alabama? Are they one of the best teams in the SEC? And then you look back at last year and remember that they finished in fifth place in their own division. They were 500. And we're having this conversation about, you know, Texas A&M, are they closing the gap with Alabama? Are they the third best team in the SEC? I don't know if they're even the third best team in their own division. Enough of the Texas A&M hype. They have two things going for them, much like Joe Flacco had Super Bowl, Super Bowl MVP going for him. For Texas A&M, two things. One, they did beat Alabama last year. That's big. Now they did go under 500 in the rest of their SEC games, but, you know, you beat Alabama, it's a big win. Only them in Georgia can say so when it came to last year. And the number two, of course, is the recruiting. They've just put together the best recruiting class in college football history. But at a certain point, you then have to show it on the field. you got to stop at the recruiting. It's like the buddy who always tells you things and then never follows through. At a certain point, you stop believing him. i got to see action before I start believing your words. You could tell me all the sweet promises in the world, but you never actually follow through. A&M, at a certain point, like you're going to become numb. No longer listen. Even before this past year, they averaged a top 10 recruiting class under Jimbo. You could sell me on all these great recruits all you want. You're not winning enough games. I don't care about the recruits. Right? You stop listening to it, just like you stop listening to that buddy. Who, oh, yeah, absolutely. Right, I'll do that thing. I'll send you the money tomorrow. Right, and they never do. You've been waiting months for them to pay you back. Oh, yeah, t- t- tomorrow I'll Venmo you. Never comes. Right? You just you tune them out. Yeah, that's not going to happen. A&M, you're going to tune out the recruiting rankings if they don't start winning more. But the two things they have going for them, they did beat Alabama last year, and they do a good job and have done a really good job in recruiting. Are they the third best team in the SEC? No, I don't think so. And again, I don't know if they're the third best team in their own division. They weren't last year. But here's the problem for Jimbo Fisher is that he's already kind of been passed by in his own division. Right? Sam Pittman was hired after Jimbo Fisher. Right now, who seems to be in the better spot? Arkansas or Texas A&M? I think Arkansas. They had a better year last year. I think Arkansas will be better than A&M this year. Ole Miss hired Lane Kiffin after Jimbo Fisher. Who had a better year last year? Ole Miss. Who will have a better year this year? Ah, This is more debatable. I think maybe, though, Ole Miss once again. Who do you feel better about moving forward? Maybe I'm the outlier. Maybe I'm in the minority. I don't know. I feel better about Ole Miss's future than Texas A&M. I haven't seen anything from A&M. You came close to making the playoffs two years ago. Did not. And you beat Alabama last year. Great. That's what the resume is. And you recruit pretty well. All right. Haven't been good enough. This year, when I look at the SEC, I think Georgia, I think Alabama are certainly the two best teams. 
not in that order. In the SEC, I think Arkansas is the third best team. In the SEC, I think they finished second in the West. I would also take my chances with Tennessee this year over Texas A&M. I think Tennessee will have a better record or a better year than A&M. I'd be willing to potentially take my chances with Ole Miss as well, having a better year than A&M. And I'll tell you what, about the future, I think I feel better about LSU as well, with Brian Kelly now there. Maybe not for this year, but over the next five years, I might give LSU a better chance to win before Texas A&M. They're not the third best team in the conference, and it's interesting how much attention and focus we pay to them every year because I don't think it's really warranted. They should be a lot better. They recruit well. They got a big-time coach. They pay him a lot of money. He's won a national championship before. They got a lot of resources, plenty of talent in the state, but it doesn't add up on the field. And you hire Sam Pittman to Arkansas, first-time head coach, offensive line coach. He's about 60 years old, right? Never been a head coach before. Comes to Arkansas. They hadn't won a conference game in two years. And you give Sam Pittman a year and a half, he already has his program in a better spot than Texas A&M. So we could talk about his A&M closing the gap between them and Alabama. Right now, they kind of have to close the gap between them and Arkansas first. Sam Pittman passed them by real quick, like they were tied to a post. Lane Kiffin comes to Ole Miss. They were a bit of a mess. Lane Kiffin arrives. And by year number two, they're ranked in the top ten and uh, won ten games last year. Finished in second place in the division. Took him a year and a half. By the way, Lane Kiffin offensive coach, Jimbo Fisher, uh, Jimbo Fisher offensive coach. Lane had a great quarterback last year in Matt Corral. Jimbo has not had a top 100 passing offense at A&M. He's been passed by in 18 months. So, no, A&M's not really closing the gap. They're not the third-best team in the conference, and really we pay too much attention towards them. They've already been passed by within about 18 months. Lane Kiffin comes into the conference. He's doing better in less than two years. Sam Pittman, of all guys. I mocked that hire. Boy, was I wrong. But he takes over at Arkansas, who was in the basement. Give him two years, boom. They're probably the third-best team in the SEC. Give Brian Kelly two years. He'll probably get LSU back up there as well. We'll see about Mike Leach. Not too high on him. But we're waiting around at Texas A&M with Jimbo. Like, all right, when are they going to get up to that spot? When are they going to be actually the third-best team? When are they going to close the gap with Bama? Looked like they did two years ago. Eh, they've taken a step back since, and others have passed them by. I think Arkansas is the third-best team in the SEC, and I also feel better about Tennessee this year. Maybe even Kentucky this year. Think about that than Texas A&M. And that's a problem for the Aggies and Jimbo Fisher. When we come back, we'll catch up with a member of the Charleston Battery. Robbie Crawford is back with the Battery. We'll catch up with him next. It's the Mar Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. We catch up with a member of the Charleston Battery from time to time. The Battery, they're coming off a draw at Colorado Springs uh, last Friday. And they'll be home this uh, weekend, Saturday night. It's also Hometown Heroes Night, 730 match at Patriots Point. Get your tickets now online at charlestonbattery.com. Go out and see the Battery. 
Saturday night as they're back home. Hopefully it's a beautiful Saturday night. Go watch some soccer here in the Low Country. Cheer on the Battery. And you can also see the return of Robbie Crawford, who joins us now, a midfielder for the Battery, who's back with the Battery in now what is his third season with Charleston. He's with us now. Robbie, good afternoon. How are you? Afternoon. How's it going? Yeah, I'm fine, thanks. I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, appreciate the time. So uh, how does it feel to be back in Charleston? You played with the Battery for two years. You were with uh, a different team this year, just signed back with the Battery here about a week ago. How does it feel to be back in Charleston now? Yeah, it feels great. Um, a little bit like I didn't leave, and at the same time, there's there's been a lot of changes. So it's uh, now it's been exciting to return, and um, yeah, just really grateful for the club for, for having me back, and obviously got a special connection to the club in the city. So it's yeah, it's it's really nice to come back for for my third year. Yeah, absolutely. What what did it uh, feel like, or what did it mean to you when you heard about the opportunity and you were coming back to the Battery? What did it feel like a week ago when you realized, hey, back to Charleston, go play for the Battery? Um, I mean, it's kind of been in the works just for maybe a few weeks, so it was, it was exciting hearing the interest and, and the possibility of it. it was a little bit of a surprise, um, but at the same time, really exciting. Um, and then once it was official, that was that was obviously the icing on the cake, and just to get it all done and, and to come back, it was it was all, like I say, pretty surreal, but at the same time, really exciting. Now, you you debuted with them, or re-debuted, if you will, uh, at Colorado Springs mm-hmm. the, the other night. What was it like to, you know, mid-season yeah. here, try to jump right back in uh, with the uh, – with the team and and to get started again last week, um, like I say, a lot of familiar faces. So in, in some ways, it was it was quite easy. Um, and then there's obviously a lot of new guys. So I think the team are still still gelling. They're trying new formation the last few weeks, and I think it suited them. Um, so it's just on me to to kind of adapt to that and get used to the new system and new coaches and everything they want. Um, but I like to think that I did pretty well and sort of gelled in quite nicely and. Um, we got a good result and coaches seemed happy so that's that's all I care about and just, just helping the team get some wins and start climbing the table again. Yeah, for sure. And now you guys play at home on Saturday night against Sacramento Republic FC so are you looking forward to getting back out there in front of the, the home crowd at Patriots Point this weekend? Yeah, yeah absolutely. It should be it should be an interesting game for a few reasons obviously. Returning to Patriots and I've actually played Sacramento twice already this year um, over on the West Coast and um, yeah, just for a lot of reasons to return, it's, it's going to be a nice, a nice night for sure. Have the the coaching staff or teammates been asking you for a scouting report about about this team since you faced them a few times? Um, yeah, it was mentioned a couple of times today. Actually, um, obviously they had their their big cup win last night, so it should be interesting to see what what kind of state they're in, what their team's like, and uh, and how they how they look. But um, for the most part, we just try and focus on what we do. Guys had a good couple of results, like I said, and we just got to bring that momentum into into Saturday and, and focus on us. After spending two years here in Charleston with the Battery, what was it like to uh, mm-hmm. go out to the West Coast? I don't know how much time you ever spent out there in California previously, but what was it like to be out there playing soccer and living out uh, on the West Coast here earlier this year? Uh, yeah, it was definitely a, uh, a new experience for me. I'd visited California once before, but never really for for an extended period of time. So, um, no, it was, it was a really nice town. Similar to Charleston in some ways, just just not as hot and uh, <laughs> a little bit smaller version, but um, it was a brand new club. So, uh, new teammates, new coaches. It was it was all exciting. And um, like I say, I'm, I'm really happy to be back, but I did enjoy my spell over there for, for all. It was, it was pretty short and sweet. Talking with Robbie Crawford of the Charleston Battery. Now, I'm originally from Connecticut. I can tell you that I miss certain things. There's a pizza place that I miss 
all the time that when I go back home, I can't wait to go get that pizza. I, I know it wasn't uh, maybe that long of a time, but when you, you spent two years in Charleston, then you go out to the West Coast, now you're back in Charleston. When you get back to town, is there sure. you know were you missing something around here? Was there something you've had to do already like your first week or two back that, man, i got to get to that restaurant or i got to go to that beach? or you know what, what, what was it that you missed most about Charleston? Uh, that's a good question. Um, we're, we're happy being in the think. Home team was a dead hit as well, actually, mm. when I had that. They supplied for the boys. Um, yeah, good good southern cuisine right there. Yes. Um, Isle Thames, that's probably my favorite beach around here. Uh, just in general, obviously, my, my wife's here, actually, so that was probably the, the most important part, coming back to her and getting to hang out. And I was just happy going anywhere that <laughs> she was there once we got back. But uh, in general, it's, yeah, it's amazing being back. And we've still got a few regular spots to go back to yeah hey good answer on the wife i could imagine certainly that's the that's the <laughs> biggest thing so so you went out to go play california she stayed here in charleston during that time that's right yeah yeah just um well she's actually pregnant so it was just uh, a lot easier for her to be in town and oh wow uh see her regular doctor and she's also got family here and um school here as well so yeah just a few reasons so yeah I that was you. definitely uh one of the challenges of, of being over there but um yeah amazing to be back yeah together yeah, for a number of different reasons, it's exciting for, yeah. for you to be back here in Charleston. Hey, let me ask you while we're on that subject, because, of, of, uh, of course, you're originally from Scotland. We've had you on the show before. We talked about, you know, your upbringing and everything. When you came over yep. to the States, what would you say was the biggest uh, cultural sh- uh, cultural shock for you? What was, like, the biggest surprise or shock of, like, oh, that's how things are operated around here? What was it for you that stood out? Um, I think people are quite open here quite friendly i think in the uk we're quite not reserved but i'm kind of used to um not really sharing much or whatever. i don't know there's something about the atmosphere here people are much more welcoming and friendly which is which is really nice and um that probably stood out most of all yeah, that's from the start like kind of yeah general southern hospitality i guess you'd call it yeah um but yeah not that people in scotland are, are mean or anything but i just feel like that was something that, that hit me and it was it was really nice to be welcomed that way and um, obviously, it's my third year here, so it's it's, uh, it's obviously a place that's that's close to my heart. Yeah, yeah, interesting. I guess I have to cancel my trip to Scotland now after after <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, I don't want to put anyone else. <laughs> a very nice place, nice people, but yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sure it is. Um, talking with uh, Robbie Crawford from the Battery. Uh, since returning here to Charleston, have you heard? Uh, you know, social media around town uh, have have fans reached out to you? You've always been considered a fan favorite of the Battery. What's been the um, What's been the reception of your return? Obviously, Saturday will be the first time playing in front of the home crowd, but have you heard from different Battery fans here over the past uh, week-plus since coming back to the Battery? Uh, yeah, actually, just speaking of warm welcomes, I've um, had a lot of messages and uh, taken back by how many people got in touch and wished me well from Monterey. And then, as I said, coming back to Charleston, a lot of, lot of fans were um, getting in touch. And I was actually at the last home game. For all I wasn't in the squad, I was I was there watching. So I think... I think the secret got out that night, and uh, a few of them were were excited to hear that I was coming back. So that was that was also really nice, and gives you a lot of confidence as a player, and just makes you want to go out and, and impress for them. And uh, like I said earlier, just just help the team in any way to get some wins and, and start climbing climbing the league table. Yeah, for sure. Now we kind of touched on this earlier, but what is it like, you know, when you when you join a new team? Other than I asked you about playing the other night, you you jump right in with a game, but. It's a little bit different, I, I imagine, because you do have experience, like you said, playing here, playing with some of these guys. But when you try to fit back into a roster, you know, do you do you try to find uh, like how, how do you find that that comfort 
where you try to find your spot for the team, like what you mm. bring to the table. Uh, while these guys have obviously – you're in the middle of the season. They have their certain roles. How do you try to uh, blend in with the team once again once you come back in the middle of a year? Yeah, it's, it's a good question, and it's not something I've ever dealt with before um, in terms of joining the club mid-season. Um, I think it's just about finding the right balance between not uh, disrupting the guys that are already there and not trying to ruffle any feathers. It's more just trying to integrate myself and show what I can do and um, do whatever the coach asks of me and, and then at the same time put pressure on the guys that are starting because, um, you know, healthy competition is good for any team and... Um, that's just what I look to bring. I've obviously been playing for uh, maybe this is my 12th season as a professional, so I like to think there's quite a lot of experience and uh, can even help the guys that are already in, in the squad that are you know new to the team. And um, Yeah, that's just kind of the balance in any team, trying to do well for yourself and, and the rest of the guys. A couple last things before we let you go. Talk with Robbie Crawford of the Charleston Battery, who's back with the team now um, and will be re-debuting on Saturday night. Get your tickets at charlestonbattery.com. Uh, what should we expect for Saturday's game? As you mentioned, you, you have faced Sacramento a couple of times. Uh, you're back here at the Battery. For those going out to the game on Saturday, what should we expect from this matchup Saturday night? Hmm. Yeah, like I said earlier, I think the guys are putting together a little bit of momentum. We've uh, got four points at the last six, so we're just looking to, to build on that on Saturday. I think um, we're in a good place. Obviously, Sacramento played last night and had a long game, and they've got a lot of traveling to do to get over here, so it's on us to, to make the most of all of that. It's not, uh, not a given that it's just going to be easy and they're going to be tired. I think they're, they've got massive confidence at the minute and, um, yeah, know what it takes to win. So it's, uh, it's definitely on us to try to find the solutions to help us get the win. Earlier this week was National Bagpipe Day. Now, I apologize if this is a stereotype. <laughs> you can, you can uh, educate me. But being from Scotland, uh, did you, do you know how to play? Have you ever played the bagpipes before? No, I can't say I ever have uh, tried or no, no. It's pretty, it's pretty niche. There's not that many people that play them, but um, I didn't even know it was national. How did you know that? Did you, <laughs> did you know that, or did you research for me coming on? No, it just, I just happen to. See, I always look. There's these random <laughs> national days. You know, yesterday was National Chicken okay. Tender Day, so I always look every day right. just to see what the national day is. And uh, after I saw you were coming on the show today, I, it dawned on me that I think it was Tuesday was National Bagpipe Day, so I had to ask you. There you go. No, I've, I've never had any experience with it. Um, they're played at, like, weddings, uh, maybe New Year's Eve, and then that's about my only, yeah, only interaction with them. But, no, nothing to do with me. <laughs> ah, okay. Well, you got a year just about until next National uh, Bagpipe Day, so <laughs> you have a year to, to learn right. the bagpipes. Um, be, before we let you go, uh, uh, due date for your your pregnant wife. When's the when's the child expected? Uh, she is expected October ninth, so we're getting there, counting down the weeks. Yeah, a few more months. Well, hey, Robbie, good to have you back in the Low Country. I know the Battery fans are excited to see you once again Saturday night. Appreciate you joining us, and uh, wish you and your wife uh, all the best and uh, the perfect health and everything here these next few months as. Uh, you guys wait the uh, the birth of your child. Appreciate you joining us. No, I appreciate it. Thanks very much. Kind of you. And uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, pleasure's all ours. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Robbie Crawford back with the Charleston Battery. Uh, spent the last two years with the Battery and then started this year out in California uh, with a different team and then re-signed with the Battery just about a week ago. And he'll make his return to Patriots Point on Saturday. And you could be there 
to go watch the battery. It's also uh, Hometown Heroes Night, which is always a great thing. And it's uh, Saturday night against Sacramento Republic FC. Uh, starts at 730. Get your tickets now at charlestonbattery.com. Battery are coming off a win and a draw. So playing a little you know, better soccer, playing some good soccer here the last couple weeks. And go out there and see them on uh, Saturday. October. Uh, the season ends October 15th. Regular season ends for the battery October 15th. So you're talking right there at the end of the season. Not terrible timing, right? You try to get the season out of the way first, and then you go have a kid in the off season, and uh, when you have a little more downtime, maybe that's not too bad. The battery have a handful of uh, home games left, so get your tickets while you still can. After this one on Saturday, they don't play again until August 27th, about a month from now. And they have, uh, I think it's uh, six more home matches. So get your tickets online at charlestonbattery.com and go see the battery before the season's over. It's always a great time over there. And um, I may, you may even hear my voice as the PA. I got to see. I got to follow back up to see if they uh, still need a fill-in this weekend, potentially, uh, to be the PA guy once again. But go get your tickets. Go see the battery this weekend, Hometown Heroes Night at Patriots Point. I hate to be that uneducated American asking about the bagpipes in Scotland, but I had a buddy growing up. I had a friend who played the bagpipes, and he would also he'd wear his kilt. Now, he was Irish. Uh, his family was Irish, but uh, he would play the bagpipes, and um, – it was always kind of like uh, more of like a, a a bit almost. Like he actually learned how to play the bagpipes and he could play them. But he always he used it to his advantage as some sort of joke. He would just walk down like random streets playing the bagpipes. He would uh, do it at school like just to goof around with people. He'd show up at a party playing the bagpipes. Like, you know, it's almost like we were talking earlier about these random skills you may have. That was another one where that was just kind of like a, you know, a conversational piece or uh, some sort of uh, – uh, just a, a joke to pull at different parties. A random skill that you have that nobody else does. That when you tell somebody, they don't really believe you. And then you prove them wrong by busting out the bagpipes and actually playing a song on them. So I knew I grew up with somebody who could play the bagpipes. It was National Bagpipe Day the other day. If you play the bagpipes, happy uh, belated National Bagpipe Day. Yesterday was National Chicken Tender Day. I don't even know what today is. But every day is some sort of random national holiday. And it just so happened the other day was National Bagpipe. I don't know why they need a whole day for the bagpipes, National Bagpipes Day. I don't know if it's that popular anyways. Today is uh, National Water Park Day. That's a good one. National Chili Dog Day. Now we're talking. National Milk Chocolate Day. Love milk chocolate. I tell you what, strawberry chocolate, uh, strawberry milk, I should say, is very underrated. Everybody focuses on the milk chocolate. You focus on the uh, the chocolate, uh, the chocolate milkshakes. Well, this is National Milk Chocolate Day, so I guess I'm reversing it. It's not chocolate milk. It's milk chocolate. So it's actually the chocolate. So it's not the drink. It's the chocolate itself, which is also fantastic. Go get yourself some milk chocolate today for dessert. National Refreshment Day. So there you go. Now we could talk milkshakes. And National Intern Day. So happy National Intern Day to all those summer interns out there busting their humps and trying to get started. Happy National Intern Day. So we got a lot going on today in these random national holidays. National Chili Dog day that sounds pretty good i could go for a chili dog right now we'll wrap up your uh, thursday when we come back it's the more midday show right here on espn radio spend lunch with luke attention campers lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle deal with it on the morrow midday show
Wrapping up your Thursday in the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow on ESPN Radio. If you ever miss anything from the show, catch it on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcasts. And the podcast is also available online at charlestonsportsradio.com. Just click on our show page. While there, you can take the Morrow Midday Show with you wherever you go. Stream us online at charlestonsportsradio.com or through TuneIn Radio, your smart speaker, or our free app. Search ESPN Charleston in the App Store. And through the app, you can listen to the show live or on demand from anywhere in the world. The podcasts are available there as well. Appreciate listeners checking in from at least 11 different states and multiple countries on this Thursday. And appreciate the time last segment from Robbie Crawford of the Charleston Battery, who has returned to the club here in the Low Country. Go get your tickets at charlestonbattery.com. Go check them out Saturday night as they're back home. But appreciate the time from Robbie. If you missed that conversation or missed anything else from the show today, go find it on demand, ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcast. What random instrument would you, do you wish you could play? I mean, the bagpipes would be pretty cool if you had that skill because it's such a uh, unique instrument that I don't think a ton of people do play the bagpipes, at least here in the, the States. As I said, I had a friend growing up who could play them. But that's such a, a unique one that so few people can do it, right? You feel more special. I always say that. We love the exclusive nature of different things. The more there is of something, the less special it is, the less you care about it, which is my argument. I'll turn a bagpipe conversation into the college football playoff conversation, but it's why I've always said we don't need to expand the college football playoff. Right? It's special because there's so few bagpipe players, it seems. You could play the bagpipes. That's pretty cool. But the more people, if we had more people playing bagpipes, well, now it's not as cool. Same idea with the college football playoff. The random instrument, I always wish, you know, I, growing up, I would mess around with the drums. I played the drums a little bit. I wasn't very good. It's challenging to have both hands and both feet all do something different at the same time. I just couldn't do that. I could get the two hands down. That's fine. I could keep two rhythms with the two hands. Then you throw in the feet. Once you gave me, like, a third different rhythm to keep, uh, no, yeah, I was out. That's where I would struggle. I used to play the drums growing up, play the guitar. But the one random instrument I always wish I could play, not the bagpipes, but it was the harmonica. And I used to have a harmonica. I think I had multiple at one point, and I used to mess around with them, but I, I never really put in the effort and really learned. But that would be the one. And that's another one, too, because you could just carry it around with you. The bagpipes, you can't just show up with bagpipes somewhere and say, hey, guess what I can play. Right, but the harmonica, you can kind of you set up the conversation, you go down that road, and then when you're on the subject of a harmonica, oh man, it'd be cool to play a song like your John Popper and the Blues Traveler. Then you bust out the harmonica. You can keep it in your pocket if you really wanted to. You could walk around with one, keep it in your bag, bust out the harmonica at the party at the bar. You start jamming out in that thing. That's pretty good. The harmonica is really underrated. If you go back and you look at some of the great songs and music over the years, right? Some of the best ones have the harmonica. Think of a great uh, uh, solo from John Popper and the harmonica. I think back to a great garage rock band from the 60s. Count five. Psychotic Reaction and the great harmonica solo in that song. Fantastic. Bagpipes would be cool. If I could play any random instrument, I think I wish it would be the harmonica. Once taught myself the piano, guitar, drums, but the harmonica is the elusive one. I wish I could play well. If you ever miss anything from the show, find it on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcasts. In the meantime, life is a series of hellos and goodbyes. For now, we say goodbye. We'll say hello again tomorrow at noon. It's the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio.